This is the meeting of the Alameda Historical Advisory Board. Um, so uh, let's have the roll call. I'll do roll call. Um, board members Jones. Board members Jones. Present. Lau. Present. Sanchez. Present. Chair Saxby. Here. And board member Witt. Here. And we have a full board. Excellent. So the first item or the next item on the agenda is um, minutes, item three. And we're 3A is the review of the meeting minutes from January 7th. understandable series of notes. My only comment, um, I was flattered. Uh, they referred to me as President Saxby, um, but I think the proper title is Chair Saxby. So um, I don't know if anybody wants to change that. That's the only comment I had. Staff will make a note of that. And we have a, a person who's uh, been doing our minutes in the past year who's getting better and better. So yeah, this was, I thought this was really well done. It was very clear and concise. I'll pass that feedback on. Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciated it. Uh, so if there's no other comments, uh, do we have a motion to approve the minutes? I motion to approve the minutes. Second. I'll second. Okay. All in favor? Aye. 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 All opposed? We have a unanimous approval. So just for the record, staff will note that the second came from board member Jones, since I saw her raise her hand first, if that's okay. Thank you. Uh, next item on the agenda is the agenda changes and discussions. Are there gonna be any changes tonight? Uh, no, not from staff at this point. Does anybody else need to make a change? Okay, moving on, we have oral communications. Um, this is a time when members of the audience can address the board on issues that are not on the agenda tonight uh, that are relevant to the Historical Advisory Board. Do we have any speakers addressing the board? Right now, it looks like we have 14 attendees in the Zoom meeting. Uh, no one is raising their hand, so I'm assuming no one's speaking on the So side. everyone's speaking on the, on the agenda items. Okay, so we'll uh, close oral communications and move on to written communications. Um, so we have this letter from regarding the uh, Central Avenue Safety Improvement Project. Yes, staff can speak to that really briefly. Um, so this is a letter from uh, our transportation planning staff, really just um, following the procedures um, under uh, environmental law to solicit um, input on um, sort of the scope of the work. Really what this project, the Central Avenue Safety Improvement Project is, is, is it's a roadway project striping for pedestrian and roadway safety. Um, and because um, there are potentially, uh, there are historic buildings along, along the route 
um, we are required to give notice and solicit any input. And in this case, uh, it's just a question to, to staff and the board on whether you have any, any comments. Um, from my understanding of the project, I mean, this is a road, this is roadway work. It's not going to affect buildings on either side. So there's really, uh, from staff, there, there is no comment. But if, if the board wanted to, um, if you have comments or if you have questions, um, you can pass them on, on to us. Does anyone have any comments to make? I, my, my question was regarding what impact it would have on the historic properties, but you're clarifying that basically it's all road work, so. Right. But, so I'm not hearing or seeing anybody raise their hand, so uh, thank you very much. Moving on to our our regular agenda items. Item 7A is concerning the delisting from the uh, historical building study list of 620 Central Avenue, the Alameda Federal Center. And I believe we have a presentation tonight regarding that project. Uh, yes, Henry Dong um, from the planning division uh, will be giving a staff presentation. And followed by the uh, the applicant is um, also present as well. Good evening, um, Chair Saxby, members of the board, Henry Dong with the Planning, Building, and Transportation Department. Um, as mentioned, uh, this is a delisting project for the Alameda Federal Center. Um, what I'm going to do is give a brief overview of the project, and then um, Doug Biggs from Alameda Point Collaborative will also be presenting. So before um, we get started tonight, uh, we received a number of public comments uh, for the project. And so those have been distributed to you guys um, via email. Um, there were concerns about the future use of the site in many of those comment letters, uh, which has been decided by the council. And so really the focus of that tab tonight is uh, on the delisting um, issue. So the matter um, before you, is something that they have hasn't dealt with in years. Uh, in fact, um, there are no procedures in the ordinance for it. So staff had to search uh, for past precedent on how to proceed. But the, um, the request tonight is for the board to modify and clean up the historic building study list by removing the Alameda Federal Center property. We'll first talk about the study list itself and then go into our reasons why. So what is it? The historic building study list. Um, the, the city established the study list as a list of sites that potentially had architectural or historical significance based on a visual survey conducted by staff, consultants, and volunteers. Um, the survey was supplemented by archival research, which was primarily building permit records. The list serves as a pre preliminary evaluation, and the properties were intended to be studied further. Some of the properties were further documented with the completion of a state DPR form, which is the state form used for recording and evaluating resources and for nominating properties at the state level. The survey identified the Alameda Federal Center with an S classification um, as potentially having state historical merit. However, the site was not one of those properties that uh, received the further documentation um, but because the buildings were not built 
prior to 1942 and do not convey the work of a master architect. Staff can only conclude that it was given the classification due to its previous association with the U.S. Maritime Officers Training Facility. So why is staff requesting to remove the site from the study list as a cleanup action? This follows a long sequence of events and court affirmations that led to what staff believes is a cleanup of the study list. In 2017, GSA entered into agreement to convey the property to APC to establish the, the McKay Wellness Center on the site. Um, in 2018, the city council approved rezoning of the site to allow for the Wellness Center and adopted an environmental document in compliance with the California Environmental Quality Act, or CEQA. CEQA requires environmental document to disclose potential impacts from the project, including historical impacts. The council determined that the property was not historic based on information in the environmental document, including a determination by the State Office of Historic Preservation that the property had no historic significance. There were then legal challenges to the validity of the environmental document, which was evaluated and upheld by the court. And in April of 2019, the voters approved the ballot measure affirming the city's rezoning action. And then in July of last year, the city council upheld a decision by the planning board to approve the design review application for rehabilitation of the south building on the site um, for a senior convalescent uh, home. Based on these recent determinations, staff concluded that the survey listing of the Alameda Federal Center property is no longer accurate and should be delisted from the study list. Um, so now we're going to go through a little bit of background about the site. Um, the site is listed at 620 Central Avenue slash Alameda Federal Center, which is actually located down McKay Avenue. Um, away from Central at 1245 McKay. The 7.5-acre site contains the 3.5-acre Alameda Point Collaborative site, APC site, and also the 4-acre uh, uh, Regional Park District site. Uh, the surrounding properties have been redeveloped to include residential, commercial, and the Regional Park. So the Alameda Federal Center site was actually part of a larger 100-acre federal facility developed in 1942 as the U.S. Maritime Officers Training School. The Officers Training Facility operated at the Alameda location from 1943 to 1957 after relocating from the Coast Guard Island. In 61, the federal government sold the majority of the federal facility to the state of California and retained seven and a half acres as the Alameda Federal Center. The site served for a number of government uses, uh, most recently as offices and laboratories for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. In 2011, the federal government consolidated the remaining operations at the federal facility onto the northern three and a half acres and placed the southern four acres for sale. And in 2015, the Regional Park District acquired the southern portion of the site. In 2016, the USDA abandoned its use of the federal buildings on the site. Now I'm going to take a look at a few photos of the buildings on the site. Um, these are 
mid-century buildings. They are old, but we don't believe these are architectural masterpieces, but we can take a look at them. Uh, this is a street view um, of the building. And then this is a view from the western side of the site or the opposite of the street. And then these are um, views of the internal um, views of the site. And then here's some additional internal views of the site. And then lastly, we have some accessory buildings that are also on the site. Um, this next photo is just an interesting photo that we we found. Um, it's a site. It's a photo of the site before 1942, uh, when the site was actually a parking lot um, located on the left of this photo, just south of the residential um, building. Um, and then it was right adjacent to the roller coaster of um, the Neptune Beach uh, facility, which was a large, um, well-known facility that you guys will probably all know about um, that was there before it was replaced by the uh, officer's training facility. So in summary, the study uh, list is a list of potential historic sites based on the facts uh, available and recent determinations by the state and the council. Staff concludes that the board can make a cleanup action to remove the site from the list. The buildings are not pre-42. Um, they do not come from a Victorian era. They do not embody the work of a master architect. The sites are not architecturally sensitive. The site uh, is not part of the continuity or character of a street or neighborhood, uh, as much most of the original 100-acre facility has been redeveloped. Um, which leaves us with whether the site has historic association worthy of preservation. And the environmental document approved by the council includes a determination by the State Office of Historic Preservation that the remaining structures do not convey the special nature of the property's historic maritime training mission. And staff concurs with that determination, and so we're recommending the board uh, delist the Alameda Festival site. Um, so that concludes staff's presentation. Uh, we can take questions, or we can have um, Doug um, come up and provide his presentation. Do we have any questions for staff, or do you want to proceed with the uh, additional presentation? I don't see anybody raising their hand. Mr. Sanchez. Hi. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, di I did have one question. Can you refresh my memory, Henry, on the, with regards to the council approval? Um, so there's, if I understand, the proposal includes two different sites within the within the site, is that correct? Or two different projects within the site? Um, could you highlight which of the two has gone to council or have they both gone before council already? Right, so the, um, the site that went to council is the APC site, which was the Northern portion of the site. That was before the um, McKay Wellness Center project. Okay, and that yeah. one, um, the, the uh, the proposal is to rehabilitate the existing building, not to demolish it, or or is it? Do I have that? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, um, let's see here. Let me get back to. This. So, um, you're talking about the design review um, 
project that went to council. Correct. Um, yeah, so that's for the south, rehabilitation of the south building, which is kind of like this W-shaped um, building okay. in the APC site. And then the northern building is the one that um, has not been um, uh, um, gone to a hearing yet. Okay, thanks for clarifying. But the just to clarify that point, the the delisting that you're looking for tonight involves the entire northern portion of the property that's considered the APC site. That's right. So both both buildings plus the accessory structures. Right. Okay. And and the um, the East Bay Regional Park District site too, because it's all seven and a half acres includes the whole thing. Oh, it does include that. It's a property as outlined, correct? Okay. Yeah. And may I also make one more uh, clarification point? So really the, the question before this board is about the cleanup, the listing of the property based on um, conclusions that the city has already made about the historic status. Um, what the applicant plans to do on the property is really a land use question and, and it's not the question before um, the board tonight. I had a quick question just to clarify, uh, Henry, on the historical building studies list, um, the S designation, and then I saw there's other designations, H and uh, E and B. Um, would you mind uh, reiterating that in the different categories that other buildings might be designated for? Sure. Um, so the um, the top category is N, which is a national um, uh, designation and then there's the s which is the state um and then after that we have um the h which is kind of a it's a historical um designation um the b is a background designation and the e is a um, environmental decoration uh, um, classification and those different classifications, like, are there different ramifications or is there like a hierarchy? Like if it's under the S, the state designation, does that mean, you know, something different than a historical designation, like as, as far as importance or protection or? Yeah, may, maybe I can answer that, Board Member Jones. Um, so, so sort of the hierarchy that we speak of is really starting with the N, which and it is a study list. So what, what those notations do is flag properties that at the time when the survey was done was flagging properties that uh, warrant further study or that the surveyors at the time believe may be eligible, possibly eligible for N would be the national register. So that would be the highest sort of the, the regard of um, historic preservation. Um, and then the ones notated with an S would be eligible for a, a, a state designation, either California Register or um, um, Historic Places. Um, then the next category really would be the, uh, the E, which stands for environmental. Um, and the description in the study list, the survey process is that these buildings um, serve, or actually, no, I'm, I should say B, the B is really a dirt tear. These buildings um, serve or typically near uh, buildings notated as N or S's 
and would serve as a background supporting resource. And then you have the E category, really, which would be the environmental. And, and that's where uh, the study list note, notes these properties individually as likely insignificant. But together as a group, they may form a, uh, a district or, or some group of historically important buildings. And then lastly, the H designation really is um, to flag that these properties may have historic significance, but really require uh, further research to, to confirm. But it's likely because, you know, the surveyor has pulled up uh, building records and identify similarities to work of more famous or well, more well-known architects. So those properties have been flagged. And then the remainder of the study list um, are un unnoted. So that's sort of the breakdown of the notations. If there's no other questions, shall we proceed with the, the presentation by uh, Mr. Biggs? Okay, uh, thank you. Good evening. Alan, we also have um, Chris Ebert, who's our architect. Is he in the room or do you see him there anywhere? If we could, if we could get him up, that would be great. You were calling for Chris? Yes. Uh, Chris is, uh, we're talking about Chris Ebert. I do not see him in the uh, attendees list. Okay, well. Calling in from San Francisco, we may not have made it. That's fine. Good evening, Chair Saxby, members of the Historical Advisory Board and staff. My name is Doug Biggs. Um, I'm the Executive Director. Oh, I see Tracy Hanna, who's also on our team, has her hand raised. She may, Chris may be coming in under her. Oh, I, I may have just made There he is. I just got access. I don't know what All happened. Right. I'm here. <clears throat> here. All right. So I apologize for the confusion. Again, we're here requesting removal of 620 Central from the historic building study list. And it's important to understand that the designation in that study list is not for a single building, it is for the site as a whole. And so consideration of removal has to apply to the site as a whole, not individual buildings. This action is being done in context of a design review application we've submitted to, for demolition of one of the buildings to build a medical respite facility and Chris Ebert, Ebert is here, who's on our design team. And with your permission, I'd like, because this is a question that's come up a, a little bit. I'd like Chris to touch on, you know, why we came to the decision of demolishing a building and, and building a new one instead of reusing it. So Chris is with Ankrum Moisson Architecture. They've been doing the design work. And my background is actually the design we have for the, the new building. Yeah, so you know, it's it would always be nice to save you know to save buildings and be able to reuse them when we can. Um, the the use that we want to put this one to and the and kind of the way that it's constructed, they don't mesh up super well. Um, and and the you know the cost to kind of bring it up to the standards that it would need to be uh, to be able to support the use in it just isn't. Uh, it's not. It's not a, that beautiful enough of a building to be able to justify putting that kind of a cost into it. Um, there are definitely um, some things that can be salvaged and saved out of the building, and we're we're going to try and uh, make sure that we we do all of that that we can. Um, there's some uh, I understand some great uh, you know the the old the old wood that's in the building can be reclaimed and reused. Um, that's a great uh, resource that can be that can be put to good use. 
Um, but in terms of trying to, um, you know, incorporate the, the life safety and the medical and the, you know, the, the mechanical and all those things that, that need to go in to support a health and wellness center, um, as well as, as provide for a, a healing environment and a, and a you know, a home-like setting um, is, that didn't seem compatible with that, with the building as it was there. Um, and so that, you know, a, a combination of all of those things just, just added up to, it was a, the better decision to, to start uh, fresh. So I'm going to run through some quick pictures that, that talk about, you know, a little bit of the history, give you a little broader idea of the history and, and what's happened to the, the buildings themselves. Hopefully I can bring up the right one. Let's try this here. My technology skills are not the best. Um, can everybody see the screen? Okay, great. Um, so I'm going to talk about really four reasons why we believe the, the site should be removed from the historic building study list. And that's because the site in its, its larger context has lost its in, historical integrity. The individual buildings themselves have been significantly altered. The site is no longer eligible for inclusion on any historic registry. It's been uh, deemed that by the, the State Office of Historic Preservation. And, you know, there are other more significant structures down there that do memorialize the importances of the history of the site. Um, so let's first talk about loss of integrity of the site as a whole. As, as Henry said, the, the site was built in 1942 and operated as a maritime officer training school until 1954. Originally, there were 25 major and minor structures down there. The USDA took over the site and operated it as a testing lab from the early 60s to 2017. By 2003, 17 structures out of the 25 remained. Um, and one of the things that's important to, to note in the assessment done by the, the um, Office of Historic Preservation is that the original Maritime Officer School could be divided into two groups of buildings, the working buildings and the living buildings. In World War II years, most of the working buildings had a direct relation to the special nature of the school's training mission. Of these structures, by 2003, only three buildings remained, the seamanship building, the engineering building, and the academic building. All other buildings that, that they felt were of direct connection to the World War II activities had already been demolished. By 2007, the academic buildings were gone and a number of the barracks were also, the living facilities were demolished. So this is where the, the 100 acres of the Maritime Training Station existed. And it, it went all the way up to Central from 6th Street down to Page and out to the water. And you know, back then, this part of Crown Beach didn't exist. This is a map, and I apologize, but you know we're we're dealing with old documents. But this is a map of the entire site here. Up here is Webster Street. This is the administration building and administration yard up here. This is the engineering building down here. This is a, a supply center. This was the infirmary. This is the parade grounds. Um, this is academic buildings here, 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 and here. This again is more barracks. And this is the, the seamanship building, which is the, the uh, we now call the boathouse. So if, as of 2007, the only buildings out of all of this that remain that were of, of 
interest were, were the, the boathouse, the, the academic buildings here, and this engineering building. All of these had already been torn down and you'll see that the others start coming down shortly thereafter. And this is again, is another view of it without the, the labels. You can see the waters out here. This is the boathouse. The area we're talking about is, our project is here and the entire uh, East Bay, the site including East Bay is, is up in here coming along or up over here, including this area up here. This is an overview picture. Um, you can see, this is Glory of the Seas. You can see the academic buildings. Uh, this was shortly after, this is in the mid eighties, early nineties, probably or mid nineties. Um, this is an overview of it. At this point, you can see the land is cleared for uh, Crown Harbor. And here's the boathouse. This is the academic barracks. This is some of the, or academic buildings. This is some of the barracks. And then later in 2007, you could see that the, the bottom legs of these barracks have been taken out. And so we now have that this building has been basically cut in half. We have the top parts remaining, this part remaining, this is all bare. These barracks have been taken out. Two of the three barracks here have been taken out. One barrack is still there. So this was 2007 which is, you know, the HAB was in operation and, and uh, looking at, at issues back then. After 2007, these buildings here, which were the academic buildings came down. So that's the, the significant reduction of the site. You went from 100 acres down to three acres of, of buildings now and, you know, highly reduced number of buildings. With the individual buildings, uh, some of the major alterations that have gone on, this is building one, and which was the engineering building. It was converted by USDA into a testing facility. And I'm not really gonna go into great detail on the interior uh, changes because I think we're interested in the exterior, but I will tell you that the interior has been drastically substantially altered from open engineering wing or bays to closed up laboratories in a, in a central corridor. So this wall was taken out and all of this ventilation systems were put in here as an alteration. Here in the central park, and I know it's a little hard to see, this is actually a cutaway view and the middle corridor, which was originally, uh, I don't know which one, I think over here shows it the best, but there was nothing here in the middle part and they put these skylights in. So they made a double floor here, put skylights in, open that up to the top. They put in ventilation systems all along here. And I think it's important to understand when the USDA took it over as a testing lab, this is where they would test botulism, uh, cholera, ricin, other, other contaminants. And so they had a very high uh, effort, uh, negative uh, uh, air negative pressurization system all throughout that building. And so they had to um, heavily upgrade the upper floor to be able to hold it and, and put in all these ventilation systems. This area here used to be a porch and it was all closed in and that's where the um, scientists would have their workstations. So the exterior of the building was, was fairly dramatically. You could also see up in this area, I don't know if you can see it because of the, my, my, I've got the pictures covering it. 
but there were a lot of, of stacks, smokestacks, um, other elements on the roof that were taken down. Uh, this is the barracks area. And one of the things you can notice is that the original windows all opened at the top and the bottom, and those were all replaced with, with these windows that don't open up. And a lot of you know stair, stairways were installed. Um, and so, as I said, the, the barracks were cut in half. The three, oops, let me back up. There were three wings coming off you know, one wing would have come off here, one wing would have come off here, one wing down at the end. When those were taken off, the roof line was cut back here. There was additional equipment put up on the ceiling, on the roof. And then this little office space was created. It was closed in and an office was built there. And you could also see some of the seismic upgrades that, that were done to, to keep that up. And again, stairways were put up. So this facade was, was I mean, there wasn't a facade there before. There were these other wings coming off. And so this was, this was greatly changed. Um, this was built, this was put in to house an elevator. And you can see that the, nothing, nothing in it matches the surrounding original construction. This is just one example of some of the interior changes that were done. And in this room, the floor was cut out and a large lift was put in to carry supplies for testing. What you can't see quite as well, but this clear story up here used to run the length of the building and it's cut off right here and cut off right here. So only a very small remnant of it was left. So the buildings themselves aren't of a historic nature. They're not significant. Um, you know, you have places like the Eiffel Tower, the Empire State Building, those are significant buildings in and of and by themselves. These barracks are not significant. So you have to ask yourself, well, was, was the use they were put to significant? And I think you could argue that, that the use, the, the Maritime School was a significant site. Um, it, was, it, it helped train captains for the Liberty ships um, and there were some important aspects of it. But are the barracks the best way to remember that? And no, they're not even close. There are, there are more significant structures out there that memorialize that history. And, and one of them, the main one of the structure is the um, Maritime Officers Memorial that is out in the middle of what used to be the parade grounds and is now you know, the lawn area at Crab Cove. And that memorializes every officer that went through the school who was killed in World War II. In addition to that, you have what we've talked about as the boathouse or this, they call it the, the seamanship building. And this is an interesting building. We've all walked by it. And this is mocked up as the bridge of a Liberty ship. So if you go upstairs, that's the wheelhouse. It has the wheel. It has the, and I'm saying it wrong, <laughs> it has the throttle. Um, and, and trainees would sit up there and practice navigating using that um, and practice all the commands and everything. On the roof of this building, uh, they would practice semaphores. So they would have sailors on top of there and, and other sailors out literally in rowboats out in the bay and they would practice signaling to each other. This building is outside of the study area. It's outside of, of it's a separate entity. It is protected by East Bay Regional Park. And between this and the uh, Maritime Officers Memorial, you really capture the history of this site. 
Lastly, and not least, you know, it's already been determined that the site is not eligible for listing on any historic registry. Uh, back in 2003, uh, as they were getting ready to uh, tear down the academic buildings and the other barracks, GSA sought a ruling from the, the State Office of Historic Preservation, and the State Office ruled that the Federal Center is not eligible for inclusion on the historic register under any of the criteria established. While the property has associations with World War II era training, uh, it has lost considerable integrity of design, material setting, feeling, and association. So let me stop sharing that um, and I'll rush through to conclude my, my comments. But I do think, you know, I, I do want to touch a little bit. I know you've gotten a lot of letters in opposition to this request, and I'm not going to address. Uh, hopefully, I don't need to address with this board the, the indefensible argument that any document written by somebody who has died is no longer valid. Um, but let's be honest, the interest in, in the opposition isn't in preserving the historic structures. The interest is in stopping the project we're undertaking. While proclaiming their love for these buildings, the writers failed to disclose that two years ago, each one of them either signed an initiative, worked for and or funded the signature gathering effort, or voted for an initiative to stop our project tear down the buildings and convert the site into open space. Where was the interest in historical preservation then? Mr. Rosenthal, a property owner living outside Alameda, who has funded the bulk of the opposition efforts I just mentioned, raises a concern in his letter to you that architectural vestiges of our nation's historic efforts during World War II are rapidly vanishing. Mr. Rosenthal's commercial strip mall now occupies space that was formerly occupied by the administration building arguably the most uh, uh, important building of the whole site. Um, what has he done on his property to memorialize the loss of that signature building, that vestige, uh, that's been replaced by a laundromat and bobo tea shop among other stores? Nothing, he doesn't care about the buildings. He cares about what's in them. But your purview and scope is not about the use of the site. It's about whether that site belongs on the study list or not. And I think we've provided ample evidence that due to the loss of site integrity, building integrity, it does not. Um, and in the, the interest of time, I'll just conclude here and, and ask that you uh, comply with staff recommendations and approve the resolution that's been provided to you. And I'm available, Chris is available to answer any questions you may have. Thank you very much. Oh, Chair Saxby, I think you are muted. Thank you very much. What I, what I was starting to say, I think there will be questions. Uh, I was just going to uh, ask a little background information. Uh, I know uh, Measure A was put before the voters uh, maybe 2019, in the last couple of years. And at that time, the thinking was that these buildings would be rehabilitated for um, adaptively reused for this purpose that you're proposing, the Wellness Center. And so I'm wondering, you know, what happened? Are we, um, did we actually look at that as a possibility or was that studied and thrown out because of the costs? I think the cost was a concern that was raised. Um, how did we get to where we're, we're now looking at delisting these properties and tearing down the buildings? 
Sure, I'll be, I'll be glad to answer that. So building one, which was the engineering building, it is the medical respite from day one has been our intention to tear it down and build a new built to purpose medical respite program. Um, this will be one of only two built to purpose medical respite programs um, in the United States. Uh, all of the others have had to adapt other buildings and there's always been things that have had to be, be, be left out of the project. We have a very unique opportunity to build something that is, is state-of-the-art, uh, best suited for the, the clients we're gonna be serving. So building one is from day one, and if you go back and look at the campaign materials and all that, you'll see that it was very clear in there that that, that building was, was, was not, not staying. Um, you know, as, as Chris said, we need more space than is there. That second story is only partially there. And by the time you take out the, you know, hundreds of tons of ventilation systems and laboratories and all that, you really have nothing of the building left. Building two, our, our building two A, B, C, D, and E, which is the, the E shape, uh, our original intention has been to, um, to rehab those. And we went as far as doing some, some design development and, and submitting schematics to the city around a, um, a rehab of that. We've subsequently done exploratory demo to look at the seismic issues. And we've determined that the seismic upgrade costs of that would be so prohibitive that we wouldn't be able to get funding for the project. So we're now looking at, at uh, rebuilding it or tearing it down and building a new project. If we were to put in much cheaper seismic, which is primarily an external, you destroy the, the nature of that building anyway. Was the, was the seismic evaluation done based on the historic building code or was it done on uh, current building code? Uh, it was done on current building codes because of the funding we have, we have to, we have to uh, keep to that level. Um, well, these buildings are eligible for historic building code. Yeah, but the historic building codes don't really save you money on the seismic issues with it. Well, there's a, a reduction in the load capacity that's permitted. <clears throat> with the historic building code. Um, so, uh, you know, a significant, or I should say, all of the evaluation that's historic evaluation that's done on the site is based on this um, letter from the SHPO back in 2003 declaring the site as not eligible for the National Register. And that um, evaluation was done based on. Um, I guess two reports by Page and Turnbull. And I'm wondering, you know, why we haven't been able to look at those reports and understand what the basis of the thinking was uh, on the State of Historic Preservation Officer's part. So I could tell you that we reached out to Page and Turnbull. Um, those reports are archived and they said they could look for them, but it would take a couple months to, to, to track them down. Uh, the other response they gave as, as part of that is if these buildings were not eligible for inclusion back then, uh, they haven't gotten better since then. We've lost additional buildings. There's nothing compelling now and that they would be even more uh, decisive that they're not uh, compatible. The other thing I would say is that the, the, the determining agency here isn't Page and Turnbull. It's, it's the State Office of Historic Preservation. They're the ones that, that make the determinations and they have. And it's kind of like, to me, it's like an auditor. You don't, you don't 
when an auditor gives you a report, they're, they're qualified to give you that report. They're qualified to get, make that decision. And the same with, with the Office of Historic Preservation. They're qualified, they're trained, they're, they're the ones that make the decision and we should trust their decision. But, you know, their decision doesn't apply to the local registry. And it would be extremely helpful for us to understand what the rationale was um, in making that determination, because right now we, we don't have anything really, except for, um, you know, the, the declaration that you're making that the project has lost its integrity. I'm sorry, that's a, that wasn't my declaration. That was the declaration of the, uh, the, um, the State Historic Preservation Officer who specified in his letter that um, the the site has lost. This is a direct quote. I, I'm not. I, I've read the letter. Uh, it has lost considerable integrity of design, materials, setting, feeling, and association. All I've done tonight, through some of the pictures and the drawings I've provided, is demonstrate in the way it has lost that. Right. Well, it would be helpful to to understand the, the historic evaluation that was done that resulted in that determination. Um, I'm gonna open it up to other people to ask questions if they want to step in here. Anybody else? Uh, <clears throat> I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Alvin. I'll, go I'll ahead, go Alvin. After Alvin. Yeah, I just have a question. Uh, I think it's for Alan or maybe on, on uh, uh, Henry. Because uh, we did receive the letter on, you know, 2003, right, from the state mentioned about the building is not historical one. And then like we, based on I see, on 2018, uh, I think we did the environmental assignment and then did mention about that to not the, the building is not historical too. So why, why even on that time, you guys don't remove from the study list? Um, so again, there, the, the aluminum municipal code does not have a procedure for the historic building study list. It actually doesn't require us to delist. We, we bring this question before the board just because one is for transparency and two, there's precedent that that's how we've handled this, these sort of issues um, when, when we know that there's a property that should not be listed because, and primarily because the, the code does require properties that are on a study list. And if you are to demolish them, you would have to obtain a certificate of approval. So knowing that the property is not eligible and conclusions have been made, we're really asking for a cleanup action. So um, as regard to the uh, 2003 letter, uh, staff feels that it, it's, it's very conclusive. I mean, the, the, the statement that it has, you know, the, the associations of material, design, feeling, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty conclusive. And then when you look at that uh, based on the local criteria, Alameda criteria, it's pretty clear the Alameda criteria is based on physical features and appearance. And we already know that these buildings really aren't an architectural masterpiece. So really what, what remains is a question about association with World War II. And so there, um, from that statement, we can staff belief is we could clearly conclude that yeah these properties aren't historically significant so sorry long answer to a question but i think that's all relevant okay a follow-up question alvin no okay mr sanchez you're up uh, so one i guess my first question um and maybe this is for you alan is so 
so we don't have a procedure in place currently that for delisting. And so what I'm understanding is that this, this has been sort of the procedure in the past that if you discovered that a building was no longer um, meritous of being on the study list that it was then delisted. Is that, do I have that right? Well, there are, uh, there are properties still on the study list that have been demolished. And in those cases, what we do, we would make a notation that, oh, this building has been demolished. So, um, so you know, just over time, it's, again, this is, uh, I think that this is a preservation ordinance question, which we'll probably bring up at the next item if we get to it. Right. Um, but we've handled it different ways. Again, this is a study list. It's a list, it's, it's, it's a list of properties that uh, have been validated historic, as historic. Uh, properties that are still up in question, and then also in staff's opinion, a number of properties that are clearly uh, that clearly have no merit and are very questionable. So, um, but but we are we we are really asking for a uh, this is a cleanup action after some decisions have been made, concluding that the property has been um, ha uh, concluding that the property is not historically significant. And that's so I did have. Decision. I did have two follow-up ones for you, if you don't mind. Um, so is the, um, well, I guess the first question would be, if this, pro if this property was not delisted, how does that affect the applicant? I mean, it, it, what, is the, what is the ramification of that? I mean, if it's, uh, I guess what I would say is, if staff has already determined um, that there is no historical significance to the property and that's what we're being told, how does that affect the applicant? Right, that's an excellent question, actually. So um, let's just say tonight you decide that uh, you don't want to delist the property. The property stays on the list. And so for uh, the applicant to move forward, if, if uh, to demolish the buildings, the municipal code says you have to come back to the board for a certificate of approval. I'll tell you, uh, if that is the outcome tonight, we're likely coming back at the next meeting with the certificate of approval. And that's because staff believes all of the evidence that we've reviewed thus far is very conclusive. The city council, I mean, that, that's been disclosed in the environmental document, the mitigated negative declaration a few years ago that the city council had adopted. Uh, that decision from the city council was challenged in court. The court upheld the city's environmental document so that's pretty clear to staff that yeah we made we our conclusion stands. So that's really the the premise for uh, staff bringing the delisting question to you tonight. Okay, and then I did have one other question for you, Ellen. So the in a case like this where that determination is made, um, so with regards to the you know so so a query was made in two thousand and three they were asking about the validity or, or the, um, whether it was eligible for the National Historic Registry, right? It doesn't, the letter doesn't say anything about the state registry, so, but it was being handled at the state level. So I'm assuming that they were basically conjoined, right? And saying it's not eligible for the national. Does that, am I correct in that? That it also would not have been eligible for the state because it was being evaluated by the state historian? Yeah, so I would say that the national and uh, state criteria are very similar. And just in a nutshell, let's just talk about what that criteria is, right? Criteria, I mean, a property could be historically significant due to its association with important people, right? Presidents, for example, or, or events. 
uh, civil, civil War battlegrounds, as an example. Um, it could be historically or architecturally significant because it was a uh, architectural marvel. Um, that's pretty self-evident. Um, it can also be significant because the um, property uh, would yield information about prehistory. Um, like an archaeological, uh, archaeological site, for example, I mean, those could be significant in those ways, or uh, Native American cultural sites. Um, so um, that's the general criteria. In Alameda, the historical building study list criteria uh, is similar. There's four criteria. Three of them, I would argue, is uh, based on physical appearance, architectural significance. The name says it, architecture, right. sure. design significance, something particular about the uh, design of the building or design of the grounds, the features of the site makes it his, uh, historically significant. Environmental significance speaks to uh, a theme that you don't just look at the building itself, but you also have to look at how the site or the building relates to its surroundings. Again, to staff, this is a physical um, attribute. And of the three, if you Think about this building and the presentation that uh, Mr. Biggs gave tonight and with the photographs. I mean, uh, staff would argue that it's clear to us, one, this is not an mar architectural marvel. There's really nothing spectacular or unique about the building design. Um, having done design review in Alameda since 2002, I could tell you there are many more buildings in Alameda that, that exhibit better design features. Um, number three, environmental. Well, there's really nothing about the environment that tells you when you visit McKay Ave that this was, oh, the former uh, U.S. maritime site. So really that leaves the question about historical significance. And when we look at historical significance with this property, we know the building was built in 1942. So so it's not associated with the major Victorian era of Alameda that's uh, known to describe Alameda building. So we know that's this is not Victorian era significance. So it really is a question of is there association with wartime, um, so, uh, wartime significance, you know? And I think the state's conclusion, I mean, you can say, yes, we relied on a paragraph or one letter, but it is very clear and explicit. There's no longer conveyance of materials, uh, design, um, feelings, you know. Um, so to us, that's very conclusive. I mean, we, I don't, we don't really need more study or, you know, more experts to, to tell us that's the case because, I mean, again, look, thinking about that criteria, walking through it, it's clear to staff that um, the 2003 statement from the state is correct. And again, over time, if there is no significance back then, and there's been further alterations made in the intervening years, uh, we can conclude even after, you know, uh, 50, over 15 years that the conclusion has not changed. Okay. And then uh, one last question for you on that, uh, on that front. Um, so if the, um, and getting away from this specific site, but because we're going to be talking about the, the study list. Um, so if, let's say that we were talking about a different prod, a different site, if the, it wasn't eligible for the National Historic Registry or the state, we could still uh, choose to, to keep, uh, to have a site or a particular property on our study list, irregardless of whether it was eligible for state, right? I mean, it, it maybe what would go down in category from an S to a B or an E or an H, but it would 
we would have that option, right? I mean, we don't have, we're not governed by the state or the National Historic Registry. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. Okay. Locally, the city of Alameda, this board may decide that, yes, it should stay on the historic building study list, but maybe we should notate it as, you know, something lesser than a S notation. Okay. It, it's not eligible for the California register, but maybe it's important because of its historical associations, for example, and you can make that determination. But again, um, the, the decision about the study list only affects sort of the process, which the project will have to go through. And by process, I mean whether it needs to come back for a certificate of approval or not. Right, so in any, it, regardless of the classification, as long as it appears on the list, it still requires the certificate. Correct. Uh, Member Jones or Witt, do you guys have questions? Not at this time. Okay. Uh, I had a, another question. It was the, in the presentation, there was um, reference to the demolition that was done back in 2007, I think it was. Um, so what process uh, happened in 2007 with regard to the Historic Advisory Board? So I think at this time, these were, this was still a federal property. So they were not within the purview of the city. Okay, so it was done without our, this, this board's approval. Right, and if you look at the city's permit history, there's really no permit history because um, the federal agencies or state agencies aren't, aren't subject to um, our, our permitting process. Right, okay. And the other question I had um, listening to some of the discussion here is um, regarding the, the process we're going through tonight, why didn't the city and the applicant just come to the board for a certificate of uh, approval to demolish instead of this delisting process? Seems like we're, we're doing it and you know, you're asking us a question to delist, but you really are wanting to ask us the question to demolish. So why, why this path? Well, I think, um... Just once we know that the property is no longer el eligible, it's much more straightforward process to remove it than to come back to the board multiple times for different buildings. Um, and I think at the at the time, um, and maybe maybe Doug can speak to this, but um, um, again earlier, the we we've always known that the North Building was the, the engineering building was a building that um, were to be. Uh, proposed to be demolished. And it's, I think, only more recently did we come to the, the applicant come to the realization that the um, the the other building shaped like an E, I forget the name, sorry. Um, building would, would two. Be, building two would need to be demolished, so. And this, and this delisting uh, designation or whatever the decision we make tonight would also affect additional buildings on the site that are on the East Bay Regional Park property. There's only one remaining uh, building on the East Bay Regional Park, and it's not the boathouse. It's a separate building. And now, and if you've looked at their plans for repurposing that site, they're, they're keeping it in. The one thing I would add is about why we're doing this as a separate, um, again, going back to what I said originally, that the, there weren't individual buildings put on the study list. It was the site as a whole and has to be treated as a whole. So we can't come and do 
uh, a certificate for, for one building. If, if we came for that, we, we have to do it for the entire site. And so regardless, um, and so it just felt like it was, it, it was better to do it as, as taking it off the list because that's what we would do in essence anyway. And then that wouldn't be, it's more transparent to do it this way. Say, let's remove the site because that's what's on there. Not a I, don't, I don't understand site. that. You're it's saying not that individual buildings that are on the building study list. It's the site as a whole. But you would request demolition permits for individual buildings, or right, you would request certificates of approval for individual buildings on the site. But the action would be a certificate of approval for the whole site because it's listed as a site. Uh, no, that actually, Doug, it, yeah. would, it would be for individual buildings. Um, but but I think you're right in, in terms of um, it would just be more transparent because we, the city's already made the conclusion right. and we and through the environmental document that the, the property is not historic. So to keep it on the list actually raises a lot of procedural questions and um, kind of down the road. I mean, like like what we're doing tonight, right? I mean, we're, we're, we've made the conclusion, but we have to bring it back to the board for delisting it. We see it, staff sees this as really a cleanup action, but yet we're again having the conversation about, about how we reach that conclusion. So if the board were to delist the property tonight, then all future action regarding demolition of individual buildings does not have to come back to the board. That's it basically correct. is handled at the, at the staff level. Correct. Okay. Through a demolition permit. Um, and that would include the East Bay Regional Park portion of the building or correct. portion of the site. Okay. Correct. Um, would it include the, uh, what is it, boathouse or the, uh, the other significant building that you were mentioning um, with the uh, the boathouse uh, is the, the boat only significant building left, and that's outside. That's a separate listing. That's a separate listing. Correct. Okay. Um, um, are there other questions? Because if I, there aren't, we're, okay. Uh, sorry, Norman. I do have I, I do have other questions. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, I'm not sure if this one is uh, well. One quick one for you, Alan. So would staff um, Again, I'm I'm trying to get my head around the delisting process, right? But could staff um, request and and file an application with HAB to delist the property in, independently of a of a project as part of? Because you're saying that this is a cleanup action, right? So my question is, as we go through the study list, if you were to review um, or come across a project or a site that you saw was on the list that had already been demolished or that was something like that, would that be something where you at, at the staff level or as the, as the city could come to us and say, we're requesting that you delist this property? Is that, is that a- Yeah, that's very conceivable. I mean, as I think of the list today, uh, I, I could think of numerous properties that have already been demolished that, that mm -hmm. yet still remains on the list. Now, a lot of these are more smaller, properties, uh, maybe some single family homes or, or buildings that were demolished uh, many years ago, um, but they, they still remain on the list. So as part of a cleanup action, conceivably staff would bring a package of, of a cleanup action to the board and, and really just, just for um, transparency, because we do, uh, we do post a list on the website. It is a public document and, and from staff's perspective, any changes to it um, should go through a public process. Okay. Um, so, but a site like this, um, where there are still existing buildings, but um, 
where staff has made the determination that it's that it no longer belongs on the list. Um, it could be gener. I guess I'm trying to understand who can generate a request. I, I understand property owner can oh, okay. generate a request. My my question is, can the staff generate that request? Yes, and actually, I would say for the historical building study list, anybody can. There are actually no rules written down in the Alameda Alameda Municipal Code. Uh, related to the study list. Um, historic monuments, which is really a different subset, um, there are rules in the in the preservation ordinance um, about it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and so that kind of leads into my next question. There were quite a few comments in, uh, in the public comments regarding ownership and who was allowed to make such a request. And so I guess that's part of what I was trying to understand is- Yeah, so that's not applicable because we do have, we don't have any rules. Okay. Now, I would say typically um, in an official historic resources inventory that other cities and when we talk about best practices, and this might be jumping a gun a little bit to our study session, um, a, a standard process would be to have a formal historic resources inventory where every property listed has been validated historic. And in that case, you would have clear rules about who may request additions or deletions from the list and right. as well as the process involved. Okay. Um, and then the last question I had, Ellen, was there was also um, a lot of comments regarding pending litigation. So is there pending litigation regarding the site? And if so, could you just clarify what that involves? Um, I'll defer to our city attorney. Sorry, uh, yeah, it's maybe more a question for that. Sure, I can explain. Um, so there, uh, there was one... Um, one case challenging the mitigated negative declaration, which is the environmental document that was adopted for the project. Um, that case was uh, recently dismissed. And so, uh, so the mitigated negative declaration has been upheld by a California court. Um, and that is, that's the final holding. There's another um, pending litigation uh, challenging the city's design review approval um, in the superior court that is, um, you know, but filing of a lawsuit really um, doesn't affect the processing of the project as a whole. You know, absent a court order, the city should be processing all applications um, in, in the normal course of business. So the, if I understand correctly, the what's being challenged is the is the de, the decision that was made with regards to the design review. Um, That's correct. Which wouldn't be impacted by our action tonight in terms of um, it wouldn't affect that one way or the other, or, or it would. I don't think that, um, based on my understanding of the the complaint that's been filed, that does not affect the delisting. They may have made claims about the property being historic, but I, I don't think that affects and it shouldn't stop this board from making a decision this evening. Um, you know, the applicant has applied for delisting and moves forward with, you know, the risk that if anything changes due to a court order that they, you know, that would affect, if it, it does affect any subsequent actions by the city, they are taking that risk by moving forward. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay, last call for questions. I'm not seeing anybody raise their hand. So at this point, I will close our discussion and um, we'll open it up for public comment. Right. Alan, did you have a comment? Oh, um, so I'd like, to, do we have a, a count on the number of speakers? Yes, it looks like we have 17 attendees right now and currently we have three hands raised. Our first speaker would be John Healy. So we only have three speakers at this time. Uh, now four. Four. Will people who are going to speak raise their hand so we can kind of get a count on how many people are going to um, comment? Uh, looks like the highest was seven, but one of them just withdrew. So okay. Well, I would like to make the point uh, before we get into this that you know we're not really here to. Um, discuss the use of the site, the, um, the support or opposition to the proposed wellness center is not on the agenda tonight. We are talking about the delisting of this property only. So if you're here to support or, or oppose the wellness center, that's, you're, not, you're in the wrong place. Um, so I'd uh, prefer not to hear those comments. And, and if you're here to comment on the delisting of the property, then I think I would appreciate everybody trying to be brief and not sort of repeat the same things over and over again. And if you hear something that's already been said and you agree with it, just you could simply say that you agree with the, the point that's been previously made um, just in the interest of, of everyone's time. Let's try to be um, concise with our comments. Um, and if we have, we have six speakers, um, I think, uh, we can allow maybe two minutes per speaker. That'll give us 12 minutes of comments. Um, uh, how does that sound? Okay. So let's get started. All right. The first speaker is John Healy. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. I'm having a delay, so everything you guys have been saying right now, I'm still having someone talk. So I've been having about a 15 to 20 minute or 20 second delay on everything that's been said tonight. So it's been very difficult to hear your conversations, just as you know. Um, this, um, I'm the applicant that this is under a court a case coming up. Um, through Alameda Point Collaborative, the city of Alameda is attempting to use this procedure for delisting the property from the historical building study list in an attempt to circumvent its liability and culpability in ongoing litigation with the Alameda County Superior Court. One of the multiple issues before the court is whether APC and the City of Alameda Planning Department through the Planning Director, why they failed to go before the Historical Advisory Board when planning significant changes to the structure at 620 Central Avenue, while at the same time the facilities listed on the historical building study list with an S designation. That was one that's part of the litigation that's going on. There's an equal protection issue here. Everybody else in the city of Alameda that has this listing has to come before you before they make modifications. We went through an elaborate appeals process and paid thousands of dollars to the city of Alameda to argue this point that they needed to come before you. They were and in their app in their design review application, they were saying, we're changing all of the windows, we're changing the size of the building. Uh, we're enclosing the staircase. 
we're doing all the changes, which is exactly what you have in the Alameda Municipal Code of that why they have to come before you before they do something. Why now is the delisting coming as you guys were talking before? This is an issue before the court coming up. Why are you gonna do this now to us? It should have been done before if they were gonna delist it and then talk about this. And then, you know, this is a way of coming around it. Now there's a whole procedure that was listed in the state of California about delisting. There is a procedure. When you guys became a, uh, an advisory, historical advisory board, the advisory board adopts the California regulations. That's what gives you the power for the advisory board to be here. So you adopt the California right. regulations. That also gives you some power with CEQA. And that's one of the other things that they're seeking power in here in CEQA. Uh, and they're using a uh, particular type of exemption that Mr. they- Mr. Haley, Mr. Haley, your time is up. Thank you very much for your comments. I'm supposed to get three minutes, by the way. The first four minutes, people get three, and then after that, you get two. Well, we, ta we talked about but two I, minutes read tonight. Read my letter. Read my letter, everybody. Okay, thank you. The next, next. speaker is Christopher Buckley. Chris Buckley. Mr. Buckley, you're muted. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. Um, Christopher Buckley with the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. We sent you a, a letter um, with, and many of the points in the letter have already been discussed uh, already. So I'm not going to go, I'll try to avoid going into detail. The, the main recommendation of the letter was that the HAB defer consideration of the proposed delisting until adequate documentation is made available to allow the HAB to make its decision on the proposed delisting. And some of that doc documentation that's been presented at this meeting is very helpful because that was not present with the staff report. And um, there's mention of the Page and Turnbull report, which would also be very helpful. The, the staff report's reliance on the 2003 determination from the State Historic Preservation Office is really off base. That's been alluded to here. That determination was made just on the National Register criteria, not local criteria. And uh, the board seems to recognize that. So the category of significance that this, if this still has any eligibility for the study list, it would be under the historical significance category that's that staff alluded to. Does this, do these buildings re retain enough um, residual association with the Maritime School and, and World War II to warrant continued inclusion on the study list? That's probably the question before the board. In order for the board to make that determination, you do need information, much of which has been provided orally at today's meeting. But if better documentation, more definitive documentation, such as in the Page and Turnbull reports could be obtained, that would make the board's job in making this determination much easier. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Buckley. The next speaker is Carmen Reed. Good evening, Historical Advisory Board members. Thank you for the opportunity to submit a public comment. I object to the proposal for the federal property at 620 Central Avenue to be delisted from the Historical Advisory Board study list. 
Alameda Point Collaborative is not eligible to apply for delisting the property as a leasee under three Alameda Municipal Codes that clearly reference the involvement of the owner in the process. Alameda Point Collaborative's historical evaluation is also non-compliant. The evaluation is required to be initiated by a state historian submitted within five years. The submitted letter is from 2003, and it was initiated by the GSA, not the state. According to the California Register of Historical Resources, the process of evaluation is supposed to be initiated by a state historian, not the other way around. Please consider the following, that the criteria for historical designation status is valid and the property has historical significance as a visual reminder of Alameda's military history and its significant contribution by its veterans in World War II. The property is currently under litigation for not adhering to the CEQA mandate. So clearly the request to be removed from the historical advisory board study list is an attempt to work around this pending litigation and avoid due diligence and state law. Please reject the applicant's proposal to be delisted. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Reed. The next speaker is Rosalinda Fortuna. Uh, Ms. Fortuna, you're you're muted. Yes, this is. Can you oh, they just signed out. Um, I guess we could try Zach Bowling then. Hi there. Yeah, uh, I wanted to speak in support of staff's recommendation and uh, delisting this property. Um, uh, the CEQA lawsuit's moot. <laughs> um, and I think the previous speakers are the same group that is uh, just trying to uh, relitigate the, um, or, or to have the vote over again. <laughs> um, as a board, your duty here is to uh, evaluate what you have before you and not um, all of these uh, uh, distractions um, being raised um, to try to stop this project. Um, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bowling. Uh, the next speaker is Harvey Rosenthal. Mr. Rosenthal, you're muted. Yeah, you're, uh, Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, great. First, uh, I thank Mr. Biggs for introducing me as the greedy property owner who has the adjacent property and for letting me know also that, uh, that my property was part of the uh, Maritime School, which I did not know. I purchased the property when it was a shopping center already, and so I appreciate Mr. Biggs informing me about that. Uh, a couple of things. I mean, the 19, the, the correspondence between the GSA and the State Office of Historic Preservation references these reports, which are missing from 1996. 
25 years ago, the GSA wrote in its letter, uh, and let me quote here, because of its age and significant activities that transfer, that transpired on this property during World War II, the possibility exists that the facility could qualify for listing in the National Registry of Historic Places. Uh, it went on to say that because a number of buildings had been uh, demolished, it, 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 did, it lacked the cohesiveness. At that time, in 1996, we were talking about a different parcel. It wasn't the three plus acre parcel that we're talking about now. It was a 7.6 acre parcel. So that's, that's you know, and, and according to the National Register of Historic Places, significance, let me read significance, is the, is the property associated with events or activities or developments that were important in the past with the, uh, with the lives of people who are historically important? World War II and the activity of the people who use this site are historically important. The building doesn't have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to win a beauty contest. It has historical significance. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, All right, uh, there have been references. Right, Mr. Rosenthal, your two minutes is up. Okay, the lawsuit, I need, okay. Thank you, Mr. Rosenthal. Rosenthal. Uh, it looks like we still have two speakers. I'm gonna try Rosalinda Fortuna again. Okay. Ms. Fortuna, you're still muted. Maybe we should move on. Okay. Uh, the next speaker will be Margaret Hall then. Oh. Ms. Fortuna, are you are you yes. ready to speak? Yes, I am. Okay. We can hear you. So oh, please good. please go ahead. Yes, I uh, am one of the property owners on Central Avenue, directly across the entrance to the Crab Cove. Uh, uh, center. And uh, my father, who is 96 year old, he's a military veteran for 21 years, and he served in the military. He believes that these buildings should be preserved and uh, as a remembrance of Alameda's long military history. Uh, we have a neighbor that uh, on Central Avenue that was denied build, uh, well, demolishing the storefront in front of his building so that he can have access uh, to, for a garage. And that storefront has, it was not, it's not a, a masterpiece of architecture. And uh, he was denied and uh, this storefront building has less significance than the buildings on the K, uh, Avenue, the 620 Central Avenue. Uh, and uh, so I believe that the uh, historical board should give each uh, citizen an opportunity uh, equally and, uh, and to allow the demolition 
of these buildings would not be equal protection of all the property owners, uh, you know, just by example of this one neighbor of mine. Uh, I think that if you allow this to be done, they're going to, uh, Alameda Point Collaborative will be able to build uh, numerous stories in this old established neighborhood. And that would uh, deteriorate, you know, it would not coincide with the, uh, the surrounding buildings and the residential uses around the, this property. Uh, two minutes is up there. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Fortuna. And the last speaker is Margaret Hall. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Great. Uh, thank you guys for, for um, you know, uh, looking at this and, and um, asking questions. I, I appreciate all the, the information I've garnered tonight. Um, I'm a, a third generation Alamedan. My, my dad was a Naval officer. My, my grandfather was a, a army pilot in World War I, my dad in World War II. And we grew up going to, to Crab Cove and, and, um, and I have a little affinity to that. I, I do like the memorial you pointed out, Mr. Biggs. And, and I went to day camps there in front of that memorial. And, um, and as, a, as a general contractor, um, I was really excited that you were gonna repurpose the buildings. Um, and I, I spent a lot of my, my career repurposing as a remodeler. Um, I was really disappointed to find out that they were going to be demolished, and I, I really urge the Historical Advisory Board to to um, look at this deeper. I, I uh, have a reluctance to rely on a 2003 um, report, and particularly if they if it's been so archived that they can't find it. Um, I, I urge you to uh, take a take a deeper look at this before you make a decision. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Hall. And that was the last speaker. Okay. So we'll close the public comment portion of the meeting or for this agenda item and come back to the board for discussion. Okay, board members, does anybody wanna start? Please raise your hand. Ms. Jones, thank you. Uh there's a lot to unpack here. Um, yes, there is. But I think I just have some, I'll just start with some general stuff. Obviously, this is a very uh, difficult decision because it's not so clear. Um, I think the applicant has talked about, you know, whether this is architecturally a masterpiece, um, but I think that we cannot compare, you know, the Notre Dame or like the Eiffel Tower to what's very important to our local Alameda's history. And um, all the comments and um, statements that I've heard about whether it's you know architecturally significant, um, it, it just seems very subjective to me, which is very difficult. I think the applicant has made some good um, factual uh, comments that have sort of made my decision a lot harder tonight. Um, you know, going from 100 acres to seven to three over time, 
um, it's, it's very difficult because we just don't have the documentation to show, um, you know, how it was in the past. And, um, and the question remains, if, if this site has been uh, altered in so many different ways, um, I was also um, surprised at how much of the structure was um, uh, remodeled when it was uh, the ownership was the USDA um, and under the government authority, I guess, if you will. And so they didn't have to go through the historical design review. And so that E-shaped building too is so different than what it used to be. So it's, it's just made my decision um, a lot harder in that regard. Um, uh, I do, there was a comment and a letter from uh, Carmen Reed, and it was just even just taking a step back, um, whether this applicant is like eligible to, okay, sorry, I'm just unpacking this in my head, uh, to apply for um, design review and things of that nature. But I think from one of Norman's comments slash questions, we have determined that anyone can request um, a, a project to be off of the study list. So I think, okay, so I think that's understood by me and hopefully everybody else here. Okay. Um, so those are just sort of my comments. I had some hangups about all the legal questions and whether, you know, the owner was, you know, uh, whether the owner would have or like the ownership and whether that's really a question but it, I feel like I feel better about that and um, I would just it, it's very difficult because I think that number one we just don't know what's in that page in Turnbull document and <laughs> to make this decision tonight um, you know has real ramifications and if we like find something it's it and and it turns out, um, but uh, at the same time, um, I think that there have been extensive review of this property. I think I I do trust that the staff did their due diligence. So that I'm sort of right there. So I I know there's probably a lot of more comments from the board, and hopefully we'll come to a conclusion tonight. Those are my comments. Thank you. <laughs> Until you're on the fence. Yeah, it's a tough <laughs> one. <laughs> well, I think we're, we're all sort of in that position. Um, uh, Mr. Sanchez, do you got some comments for us? Are you gonna hold off? Yeah, I think uh, Jen had her, her hand up first, so I'm gonna- Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see that. proceed and I'll go afterwards. That's okay. Uh, um, Lynn said pretty much what I was thinking. You know, I, I think, um, I think it, you know, if, in order to get the go-ahead for this project, it would have been really great to have them find the Turnbull bull letters, just really dig and just bring make to make sure that we could close that end so that it would make it a lot more clear cut. And we don't have that. And so, you know, I think I, I, I'm also very much on the on the fence when it comes to this issue because, you know, we can't go back. We can't we can't undemolish this building. And so if, if it is found culture culturally significant later, you know, it's too late. So, but it's, 
you know, it's a, it's something that's helpful for the community to have this well, wellness center. And so I, I see the need for that. And so I think it's a very difficult um, decision. Okay, Mr. Sanchez, I think you're up. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I think we're all sort of struggling with, <clears throat> with the fact that there is a lot of uh, information um, in order for us to reach a decision. And I, and I think that, I guess, um, part of what you, what Chair Saxby mentioned, and I'll, I'd like to reiterate that is that as I was reading through the staff report in the application, I had to keep reminding myself that really what we are being tasked with is purely to make a decision about whether this site belongs um, on the historic study list or does not. Um, we're not here to pass judgment on the validity of the, ap of the applicant's proposal for, uh, for the site. We're really here to evaluate the historic merit of the, of the building and whether um, it belongs on the list. And so for me, I, I guess um, I find it difficult because uh, I, I think that we have a wonderful staff and I trust them implicitly. However, I feel like there's, there's three things that I would, I would uh, love to have to feel more comfortable um, making a decision either way. One is uh, the original uh, documentation that was used to place the, the site on the study list. So in other words, I don't know what type of records we have and what determine and what um, led to the determination of the, of this site being placed on the list to begin with. Uh, but that I, it, it seems to me like the supporting documentation from the 1978 survey would be helpful. The Turnbull report would also be helpful. And I think just that as we've had with previous uh, sites where uh, there's some historical significance, but I, I keep thinking of the Shipways project, right? We were given a tour, we were given a presentation, we were informed way ahead of our hearing. And I felt like I came to that hearing much better prepared to make a determination on that project here because there's not really a project before us. We didn't have the benefit of a tour and we didn't have the benefit of sort of the background information being provided to us prior to tonight. So um, I guess for me, those are the things that I that would make me feel more comfortable about being able to make the decision. And um, in general, I guess I would lean towards a continuance rather than a decision whether to accept or reject the application to, uh, to delist. I would prefer, if possible, to have, um, you know, to have that information provided to us and to be able to make that determination at a future board meeting uh, once we've had a chance to review it. Um, so anyway, I guess that's where I'm at. One last point, I think with regards to the age of the documentations, um, I'm, not as, I'm not as concerned about when the letter was written um, purely because, uh, I mean, our, our list was composed in 1978, right? And so that goes way further back than the 2003 letter. So for me, the dates of when these things actually happened, they're significant only from the standpoint that a lot of, uh, a lot of changes may have occurred from now until then. Um, but just like I find our study list is valid and it was composed in 1978, I think that a determination that was made in 2003 may be valid, but we don't have the supporting documentation to evaluate that, which is where I get hung up on that. So, all right, thanks. Thank you. Mr. Lau. 
Yeah, I totally agree. All the board member mentioned about that. Yeah, right now it's very difficult to make the decision because it's like we're missing some document and then like um we we got all the information from the audience and then from the from the staff to all the report. And I agree, uh, all the board member mentioned we need to get more document to review it and then to make the decision there. Thank you. Well, I think that uh, every board member has said basically the same thing, which we, which is that we lack enough information to make a solid decision on this particular issue. Um, that's, that's exactly where I was coming down as well. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really particularly difficult knowing that, you know, our decision to delist the property is, you know, in effect, the decision to demolish the buildings. And, you know, we want to make sure that we make the right decision. And, um, and I don't feel comfortable with the, with the amount of information we have right now, although tonight's presentation certainly did push me towards um, understanding that this property, if it, if it does have historic significance, has certainly lost a lot of integrity. And, but to evaluate that is, is, is hard to do um, without understanding you know, the basis of, of the original evaluation. Um, so, you know, what I'm hearing from everybody is that uh, we would like to, if possible, read the Page and Turnbull evaluation um, it, if there are documents from the 1978 original survey to have access to those to see what information was um, listed in those documents. Um, and if there's any other uh, evaluations of the property that we could have access to that would help us make our determination, that would be uh, the preferred method of moving forward that we would continue this discussion to uh, a future meeting where we would hopefully have a chance to uh, evaluate these different documents and come to a more conclusive decision. Um, go ahead, uh, Ms. Jones. And I also, I, I feel like I wanna share the sentiment. I don't feel like we're trying to kick the can or you know, avoid making a tough decision tonight. Um, I, I want to ask Alan and the staff, you know, are besides the page and Turnbull documents, um, I'm sure you guys have, you know, searched and made sure that we got as much information for tonight's meeting as possible, um, just so that we're all on the same page. Is that really the only documentation out there that we're sort of, um, that was mentioned? Um, and then also number two, it, it, it's difficult, but just realizing that this whole time the USDA um, had made those changes over a very long extended time without any oversight um, from our local historical advisory board. Um, that was sort of like a light bulb for me. Um, and that was since the sixties. So, you know, it was not much time from 42 to 56 and then USD gets the building and then from the 1960s does what it needs to do to, you know, like um, Mr. Biggs had mentioned, you know, um, the negative pressure system, all, all those things that he had 
mention in his um, presentation, I think that uh, for that to just kind of settle in with me, um, because I think it really does make a difference. I think subjectively as a local Alamedan walking through um, that area, you do get a sense of historicity. So um, it's a very subjective thing. I, I totally understand Miss um, Hall's comments about, you know, her father and just like having generations of Alamedans like see that site and get that sense of history. But I think that from our historical advisory board's point of view, we have certain standards that we think about as far as scale and how much of the original um, landscape has actually shifted. So I think to get to a better decision, we need to sort of get there. So are we, what, what are we waiting on as far as more documentation in the future? Is there? Uh, Mr. Taft, kind of just I'm in and answer that question. Yeah, I, I was actually wanting to ask the board for some clarification in terms of specifically what sort of documentation you're looking for. I mean, I know a lot of people are referencing the 1996 Page and Turnbull report. You hear Page and Turnbull, a reputable historic, uh, you know, architectural firm, and you might automatically think, oh, there's probably a lot of comprehensive documentation analysis done. We don't know that. I mean. So, uh, that document has never been available for the city. Um, I believe uh, the applicant has reached out to Page and Turnbull to see if that document is available and it's not readily available. But other than focusing and being fixated on this document, I much, I much rather the board think about what specifically would compel you to come to a conclusion. What piece of information or statements would compel you to, to the conclusion that you need? For staff, I will tell you and reiterate that the statement and understanding haven't gone through the criteria. I, I don't wanna repeat what I uh, described earlier in terms of even the local Alameda study list criteria, the, the architecture, environmental design, historic significance. We know the issue is historic significance. But to have the state publish a letter that says clearly that it has lost considerable integrity of design, material setting, feeling, and association with its historic period of significance, 1942 to 1957, that's very compelling to staff. I mean, that answers the question. I mean, is it so? Would you prefer to see a maybe a, another report from another historian? written in 2021 that says the same thing? Is that what you're looking for? Or are you looking, what sort of analysis? Uh, I, I think what I wanna do is um, when Mr. Biggs and staff, we come back next time, we wanna be able to provide you with what you wanna see. Because for, from the staff perspective and even city council concurred with staff, the judge, the court concurred with the city that the, the conclusion we made based on the sentence um, in, in the state letter was adequate and so, well, I, just uh, speaking for myself, I think that um, we've been given conclusions. We haven't been given the backup and the support for those conclusions. And um, you know, we'd like to, all five of us have agreed that there wasn't adequate information for us to come to determination, which means that we need uh, you know, to, to review what was the basis of the conclusions that were made. Um, and I know, you know, it's it's hinted at in, in the letter from the state that you know Page and Turnbull seemed to think that there was a sort of significance to the site, and then the state's conclusion was that 
it had lost its integrity. Um, but we, you know, again, we're, this is, we're blind to all that. We haven't been able to evaluate it ourselves. And so what I, I think we'd be looking for is if we can't get the, the report that exists, um, is, is it possible to have uh, a new evalu historical evaluation done for the site? Mr. Biggs, you're muted. Certainly, I'm getting there. I got slow figures to get it. Okay. But again, I thank you all very much for your 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 thoughtfulness on this process. And I understand that, that it is a challenging one. Um, you know, we, you know, not wanting to touch on the uses of it too much because that's not your job. But on, on one hand, we are seeing homeless seniors die every month now. In, in Alameda County, and so we're we feel compelled to move forward as quickly as possible and as conveniently as possible. But having said that, we 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 are certainly happy to continue, or we're not happy. <laughs> we'll be glad to do it though to continue this. Um, we will reach out to Page and Turnbull to see if they can dig up the 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 report uh, from their archives. I don't know how long that'll take. Um, we, in lieu of that, if they can't, we will have them come in and review exactly the same documents I showed tonight and the site itself. And they can, they can, they can do an updated determination based on that, um, I, I would imagine. Um, we cannot be held responsible for how the list was, was uh, put together. And we shouldn't be held responsible for that. For all we know, somebody could have just put any address they wanted to on that study list or they could have studied it, we don't know. We don't know what documentation there is. So I would not want this process held up because of how something got put on the study list. Let's all agree that it was put on a study list for a reason. Now we need to determine if, if it needs to come, come off. Um, I'm happy, I, I, uh, Mr. Saxby came out for a site visit. I'm happy to host a site visit. Again, it's challenging in the, in the pandemic, but I, I'm happy to host a, a site visit of of any other member that would, that would like to come out as well. Yeah, I, I think Mr. Biggs that that would be helpful um, just to help educate us a little bit. I think to, to answer um, Alan's question about sort of what documentation. So uh, Alan, I don't know if the, if there's any documentation when the city, when the study list was put together that shows the logic uh, behind or the justification behind listing a property because what I'm what I'm getting the sense is that there's a progression of that there was a site that was deemed historic and it had to do because of the overall site and the and and um, sort of the all of the buildings that comprised the site originally and that that over time has changed and I think that the the staff report doesn't sort of give us the any documentation to show us that progression from when it was first listed so it's all described to us um, but we don't have any, anything to sort of lean on to be able to evaluate it. And so since this is something that we're being asked to do for the first time as a board, all of us, I don't think any of us has participated in delisting. I think it's, that it, you sense our hesitation to just sort of, um, again, not, not for lack of trust of staff, but for us to just jump in and say, okay, yes, we're going to do this because we understand it. I think for staff, given your expertise and your clarity, 
it makes a ton of sense to you that that letter is a very clear indication that there is no longer historical merit. I guess to me, it's not as clearly apparent. And so that's really what we're asking for is a little bit of um, added documentation. And so to, you know, just to list again, the ones that I was, that I mentioned was, I think a site tour would be extremely helpful. I think the exhibits that Mr. Biggs showed tonight would also be helpful. Um, if there's any documentation for the original study list pertaining to this site, and then um, obviously the Turnbull report. And again, just because it's used as the justification for the, the determination that was made um, in that correspondence, again, for us, we just don't have any knowledge of it and we don't have any, um, we've never had the benefit of being able to, to read it for ourselves. And so I, I guess that's what we're looking for. Yeah, thank you, Board Member Sanchez. And um, if I forgot to address the point about the availability of documents related to the original survey, so I'll just have to be very clear: the the record keeping in the city over the years have been very spotty. And so, um, while I have discovered some survey forms, it's, it was really a checklist that I think the surveyors took around as they walked the neighborhoods to check off what they thought, what they saw. But um, uh, there, there's otherwise. Um, for most of the properties on the study list, there's there's really nothing available anymore, and and as well as for this property, um, the the um, I think Henry mentioned earlier in his presentation that um, certain properties that clearly have historic significance, those have been documented under state issued uh, DPR forms, and so those are actually going through a formal archive process with the state, and it's stored at a um, at like Sonoma State University in, a, in the information center there. But otherwise for this property, all there is is just a, a numbered list um, that you saw on, on one of the slides earlier. Thank you. Okay, um, so do we have a motion to make on this particular uh, agenda item? Is anybody willing to step up and kind of summarize? You want me to go ahead and make the motion, uh, Tom? I'll be happy to if you like. Um, so I would, I would move that we um, continue um, our decision uh, to a future meeting, and that in the um, with the request to be provided as much information as is available um, from the city's records regarding the property, the Turnbull. Uh, report if it's available and if and if we're able to get a copy of those reports um, and then if we could take up Mr. Biggs on his uh, offer to give us a tour um, whether I, I'm assuming that there isn't access to the site but if he's able to at least give us access and give us a, a quick tour of uh, the existing buildings I think that that for me would would give give us a, the background information that we would need to make that assessment. Do I have a second? May, I, may staff ask a clarifying question? Sure, sure. Um, Sanchez, so uh, re related to tour, obviously I'm thinking about logistics. Um, 
there are a couple of ways we can we can handle this. One could be we schedule a uh, special meeting of the HAB, and all it would be would be a, a tour. Um, then the tour would be noticed, or um, or if that might be difficult to coordinate. The one thing I have to check is whether how would we be able to handle the logistics if this was a public meeting and a tour, and it, during the pandemic and having to meet social distance requirements. So that's the first thing that comes to mind is. Uh, there might be some complexities there. Uh, another way to handle it might be um, just like how uh, Chair Saxby had toured the property with the applicant. Um, we can also make arrangements where you individually tour the facility um, with the applicant. That might be the other alternative. Um, I just don't know. I, it's something I would have to check on if we were to do a public HAB meeting that involved the tour of the site and how do we maintain social distance requirements? Could we um, possibly do it in pairs where two members of the HAB tour at a time? And would that be acceptable without a public notice or does that have to be noticed? Uh, that that would not require, uh, I, see, I see the city attorney nodding her head. I'll, I'll let her chime in. She might oh yeah, I think, um, I think touring in pairs is fine. You're, you're not uh, quorum. So that would be acceptable okay. if you well, could I, coordinate. I've already seen the site. So I, I that would just mean uh, Mr. Biggs uh, accommodating two meetings if we can coordinate our schedules or two separate tours. And that would be fine with us. Okay. And then may staff also ask this question maybe of Mr. Biggs, if there are members of the public who are tuning in tonight who would be interested in a tour, maybe they could contact staff and maybe we can arrange, make that arrangement with you. Would that be? Yeah, there's a couple ways we could do it. We could either, we could make an arrangement to do a, a, an additional tour of the public uh, or we could do a, a video tour separately and, and post that. That may be the safest way. Thank you. So back to uh, Mr. Sanchez's motion. Um, do we have a second? I'll second that motion. Okay, so we can take a vote. All in favor of, of deferring this issue to another meeting or this the decision to another meeting. Uh, all in favor? Aye. All opposed? None, none opposed. So we have. Uh, so that's a unanimous decision. We have a unanimous decision to continue this discussion on the Alameda Federal Center. And uh, hopefully, like, well, we can get some information relatively soon, additional information relatively soon to help us make this decision. Great. Thank, okay, you, thank very you very much. much. Okay, so moving on to agenda item 7B, which is the Historic Preservation Ordinance Informational Workshop. Um, so I, Alan, you're gonna be uh, leading this discussion. Uh, what are your thoughts on? Yeah, so um, I have a just kind of brief slideshow to guide us through the uh, discussions and um, if I can have permission to share my screen, I'll do that. You should have permission. Okay, thank you. 
Um, is anybody, you want to take a brief break before we jump into this? I'm sorry that we started, but uh, does anybody need a break? Two minutes? Oh, everybody's okay? All right, proceed. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, so good evening, Chair Saxby, members of the board. Uh, I'm Alan Tai again, um, secretary to this board. So this is really the first workshop of the preservation ordinance update. Um, we are really tonight hoping to get into the crux, the key issues affecting the preservation ordinance. And um, I'm basically going to go over uh, what was written in the staff report. Um, and really the, the three items that I would like the board to, to discuss tonight really is the biggest one really is um, discussing the board's role in your review of historic building alterations. And I think that discussion would really inform how we come up with our definitions. And if you recall in the previous meetings, um, there's been a lot of discussion about having to redefine demolition, what demolition means. And, and the importance of that is because the definition of demolition currently is the threshold that determines whether a project comes before this board for review or not. And we're talking about pre-1942 buildings as well as historic uh, properties on the historic building study list. And so uh, lastly, what I'd like to talk to the board about is the issue of the study list itself. And um, the, the issue we just talked about uh, with the uh, McKay Wellness Center site, um, the Alameda Federal Center site um, is exactly um, one of the issues that uh, I think we need to address when we, when we talk about the study list in terms of um, processes, how we, is there, should we establish, we need to establish a formal process for additions, deletions, how do those processes work? And then um, also, why don't we just talk about adopting it as a formal inventory um, and call it that just like all other cities in California. Um, so in terms of where we're at with the preservation update um, in previous meetings, we've talked about the introductory sections. Tonight we're really talking about issues that affect uh, subsection 13-21.7, the interim review section. And that's really the, the section in the preservation ordinance that embodies most of the procedures for review. And currently as written, it's actually very simple. It just says that for any uh, structure that's built before 1942 or on the historic building study list, if there is a proposal to demolish those buildings, then that uh, review would have to come before the historical advisory board. So let's talk about the HAB's role. Um, currently, what is your role? Well, your role is you currently have oversight over any alteration to historic monuments. There are 30 historic monuments um, in Alameda. So for example, the City Hall building is a historic monument, number one. Um, if there was a proposal to replace all the windows, for example, I think that uh, that would be a type of alteration that would automatically trigger a board review because of its status as a historic monument. But outside of the historic monument category, all pre-1942 structures and those on the historical building study list would come before the board only if there is a proposed alteration that meets the definition of demolition. And so on the slide 
uh, I am sharing with you the demolition definition, which means um, it, demolition shall mean the removal within a five-year period of more than 30% of the value of any designated structure or building as determined by the uh, building official. So designated structure in this case would mean the pre-42 and historic building study list buildings, as well as uh, historic monuments. But um, because any alteration to monuments already come to the board, that's kind of a moot point. So, um, I mean, I would say over the years, this definition has been effective in deterring some very drastic changes to uh, mostly single family homes. I mean, the, the bulk of resources on the historic building study list are single family homes. Um, so that has been a good deterrent, but there are also times where you would see uh, additions, for example, that are able to stay under the 30% threshold, but still involve a major, what would be considered a major change to the envelope of the building that, that somebody might say uh, affects its uh, appearance. But anyway, in a nutshell, this is really your current role. This is the authority that the current preservation ordinance gives you. So as an example of the current process, and a lot of you know this already, if the project was involving a second story to a single family home. To, so if you think about maybe a, a, a single story bungalow today, if they wanna build up, they would have to demolish their roof they will likely have to demolish some interior walls to create a staircase to go upstairs. Um, those changes in, in of itself may easily trigger the 30% of value. Um, and in this case, if it was a building that was built in 1921, 100 years ago, it's clearly a building that's pre-1942, meets the definition of demolition, then that would come before the board for a certificate of approval. Um, the certificate of approval would require a public hearing before you and your actions would be appealable or uh, called for review by the city council. The same project, the same second story addition uh, would, you, would be subject to the city's design review ordinance, which is in the zoning code. And so that would be under the purview of the planning board. Under the design review ordinance, staff plays the role of, uh, uh, would, would perform the design review and our decisions, our actions are appealable to the planning board and the planning board may also call that for review. So um, what I wanna do here is really just to reiterate currently how the process works. Um, if it triggers, if a project triggers demolition, it will come before you, but then afterwards, there will also be design review by staff, and that's subject to the, uh, a different um, process tree. So when thinking about options, I laid this out in the staff report. Um, I think there, there are three options. There can also be different variations of these options and you can maybe come up with a fourth option. But I see option one is um, something that we have discussed uh, over time is really just focusing on redefining what demolition means. Um, and some of the ideas for redefining demolition over the years um, have included, well, maybe we, we expand that definition to include uh, a number of different criteria. Maybe it's a certain, maybe a demolition would involve 
a, uh, the removal of a certain percentage of the perimeter walls. Another criteria might be uh, removal of a certain percentage of the entire roof. Um, it may also involve uh, the, the removal of any character defining features as some other cities have defined it. Um, so focusing on more important aspects uh, that, that convey historic significance on the building. So that's one option is really hone in on the threshold demolition. Okay, if, if you don't like 30%, is there a way to just better define it? But otherwise keeping all of the processes the same. So that's really option one. Option two is really um, require the HAB, let's just say it. I mean, if, if, you're, if, if a project is replacing 50% of the roof, 50% of the walls, maybe that's called a major, uh, major alteration. They're not really demolishing the building. One of the issues that staff has always had at the public counter, telling, explaining to homeowners that, oh, you triggered the definition of demolitions. So you have to go to the HAB. Their response is always, wait a minute, I'm not demolishing the house. I'm really building an addition. You don't get it, city staff. And we're like, no, but you trigger that threshold. So one of the ways maybe is just to call it a major alteration. Many cities have that as the threshold. You know, if, if you are undertaking a major alteration of a historic resource, pre-42 on the study list, that needs to come before the board. And so maybe in that case, under option two, we focus on what we believe are major, constitutes major alteration. Option three involves a little bit more work. It's going to restructure kind of the, the the division of responsibility between the planning board, which has purview over design review and the historical advisory board. But um, option, D really, option three involves expanding this board's purview to include all alterations to pre-42 homes and um, study list properties. Um, and by that, what I mean is Currently, when we bring a certificate of approval application to the board, you're really not focused on how much the how much demolition or removal is taking place. You're, I mean, in 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 a lot of your review and deliberation, you're you are focused on the ultimate design, the changes, how the changes affect the historical character of the building. In staff's view, that is design review. You're essentially performing design review. So does it make sense for us to just say, well, you know what, maybe historic properties pre-42 should come before the board for design review. Um, and maybe I should clarify that I don't mean every single project that's now subject to staff level design review suddenly requires a public hearing. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is um, you, the, the, you, the historical advisory board would assume purview over that program, staff would still be doing the design review work that we are currently doing, but that if there was an appeal or if there was a call for review that you would have oversight. And I would argue that this board has the, the, the perfect qualifications to perform design review. There's two architects on the board, there's a contractor. I mean, your makeup is really um, set up for this type of work as needed. But um, because we are talking about shifting responsibilities from one board to another, it will require not only amendment to the design review ordinance, but we would have to go before the planning board and kind of get their okay.
this is really the first time I'm throwing the idea out here. This is a brainstorm. So, um, uh, we, I mean, this is just an option that we can consider. But I also want you to understand that um, there's a little bit more involvement in option three. So the council have to concur that that's uh, appropriate shift of responsibility between um, two boards and commissions. So that sort of sums it up for the uh, role of the board. Um, and, and within it, I kind of talked about the definitions. I think once once this board decides which option, which role you want to play, then the definitions can sort of naturally fall in, into its place. Should I stop there for questions or should I just continue going just to talk about, uh, again, I'm just really summarizing my staff report. Um, I, I think this is a good place to have a little discussion because, okay. um, you know, this is pretty well defined uh, options. Um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by option three uh, because I think, you know, in the past when we have done uh, certificates uh, of approval, we do kind of naturally get into design review as part of that evaluation. And um, it seems like a, it seems like the the right thing to do. Um, but I also think that re, re, redefining the, the term demolition makes a lot of sense too, because I, I think that the current definition of demolition is is very hard to understand for most people, and it's um, I think changing that to a, to uh, instead of evaluation, more of a percentage of exterior wall surfaces or roof surfaces makes a lot of sense because that's something that's fairly easy to understand. Um, are there other so there comments regarding this? Norman? Or Chair Saxby. Uh, oh, go ahead. I, I, uh, I just want to make one clarifying point. I think uh, once we decide sort of what role you want to play, um, you know, the, the, the importance of the word demolition might not be as significant. Let's just say you choose option three. Well, a demolition is actually part of the alteration, right? Or especially if we, we have a criteria for major alterations and that could in include the, the definition of demolition itself, right? So that's also one thing that I wanna point out to the board. So the question back to you on that would be, what triggers it coming before the board? Is it just we we look at staff's design review and we can call it for board review, or is it um, something else that would trigger it? Um, I think it's up to this board currently with design review. Um, their uh, staff is the default review party, um, with the exception of. You know, with the, so you're thinking um, currently with the design review ordinance, it, we're talking about design review. So there's really not a threshold for historic significance, but um, let's just say new development, major development projects, those we would bring to the planning board. And the criteria and the threshold there is really when there are uh, projects of uh, uh, citywide controversy or importance. So that's sort of the criteria we use to take project design review projects to the planning board. Um, if this role were to shift to the historical advisory board, I think uh, there might be opportunity for you to 
um, redefine what projects come before you. Um, but I, but I think staff's vision is that we don't um, change the current process. That you know we would like the majority of uh, mostly single-family design reviews to remain at staff level. I mean that's important to uh, minimize costs to homeowners. I mean we we understand that a lot of Alameda homes are old. It require a lot of investment to maintain. So the the city's mantra, city the planning department's mantra over the years has been, we want homeowners to property owners to spend money on their property and not on city processes. So, so staying true to that, we would prefer uh, still keeping staff level uh, review process uh, for most of the work. And then um, you would have call for review and appeal responsibility. But then that also opens up uh, the, the board's um, uh, capacity to focus on some of the other aspects that we plan to build into the preservation ordinance, like enforcement, Mills Act consideration, uh, a more robust work plan to uh, study the study list. So um, that's sort of the vision that staff has at this point. Okay. Um, Mr. Sanchez. So yeah, I did have a question, Ellen. So just so that I understand, um, so when we talk about us taking um, a larger role in the design review under option three, my understanding, just to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. So if somebody were to come in to apply for design review and they triggered whatever the definition we come up with for triggering HAB approval, then they automatically get routed to us as part of their design review application. That okay. is correct. Okay. And so what would really be changing under, under option three is that if somebody, if an applicant came in and didn't, wasn't deemed to be triggering um, because their demolition didn't exceed or their, or, or their um, you know, if we decided to define it by major alterations, that they weren't triggering that right off the bat that we would still have the ability to request that that project came before us or if someone were to appeal it. So if the neighbors were noticed as part of the design review process and somebody had an issue with it, then the appeal would be heard by us rather than going to planning board. Is that? That is correct. One? That is okay. correct. And we're only talking about the subset of properties that are pre-1942 and on the historical building study list. Correct. And so again, so they, this would be projects that didn't come to us originally because they hadn't uh, hit their trigger point, but correct. were now being appealed or. Right. Okay. Correct. And if I, I may add just one more point to that, because um, the staff work currently today when we are reviewing a design review, let's just say a Queen Anne Victorian home comes in for a remodel or an addition. What, what the, the design criteria that we're applying often include the secretary standards. I mean, even though that, that those aren't the required findings for it. We do flip through the standards to see that, hey, the, the treatment of the property is consistent with a historical, uh, uh, with, the, with the historical features in the design. So in, in many cases, we feel like that is our current process. We are looking, to, our design review process are already considering these uh, uh, historical buildings in the historical context. So in reality, we're really not making a change other than shifting that oversight responsibility from the planning board to the historical advisory board. 
Yeah, I, th I think for me, the, um, and then in terms of the, the difference as you see it from option two to option three is, um, can you, can you highlight that for me again? So I, I understand that under, under number two, what we're saying is rather than having demolition be the trigger, we would be saying that it would be a major alteration, whatever, however we choose to define that would be, That's the, correct. would be the trigger. Um, but is that not still the same? Because under that option two, I guess the difference would be that if something were appealed, that would still go to planning board versus coming to us at that point. Correct. So really yeah. under option two, it comes back to the current process as I've laid mm -hmm. out on the slide. Um, okay. Everything would stay the same except uh, that third arrow there, meaning the demolition definition. Instead of demolition, it would be whatever uh, criteria this board establishes for a major alteration. Okay. So it would still be a two-step process where a project would still first come before the board ex uh, for certificate of approval. Um, you would, uh, assuming you approve it, you would have conditions on and, and comments. We staff would then incorporate this board's conditions of approval or direction on design into the design review. And so it would still be a two application process. The benefit of number three, option three here, um, is really it, it, it eliminates that two step process. Two step being you have to go, you have to get a certificate approval and then a design review. So in options one and two, you still have both certificate approval and design review. Option three really is a streamlined approach where it just goes before one board or doing the kind of same work. And um, you, we have a different board having oversight of that program. Yeah, I think um, generally speaking, I, I'm not opposed to option three at all. I think that um, the in combination, and I and, and I get that you're saying that they're not mutually exclusive, but I think the having the trigger be major alterations versus uh, something that is based on value. Um, I've always had a, a trouble with that definition of the valuation because I feel like the if somebody were to make improvements over a period of three years and you then started to try to quantify the value of, of the demolition, and what that is, uh, you know, I, I know that there's a formula for it, but I, I find it to be um, not really quantifiable. That it's not super easy to explain, right? Not only to the homeowner, but I mean, even us as professionals, when we go in to apply, we don't really know um, how to gauge that. And it feels like there's a little bit of subjectiveness to it. Um, so it feels to me that, uh, and then at the same time, I could think of examples of like a single, you know, like a California bungalow where somebody's proposing to change the style of the front porch columns. Well, that by valuation or by percentage may not trigger review, but I would say that that would definitely be a character defining element. So I, I like the idea of, of basing it a little bit more on things that would fall under our purview based on major alteration or, or character defining features versus purely an economic. Do we have other other comments or questions? No one's raising their hand. Okay. We lost your presentation. Are you? Uh, are we gonna 
continue on with the uh, study list discussion or do you want to start okay. to wrap it up? Uh, yeah, we'll continue. Okay. Let me share screen again. Okay, so shifting to a different topic, the historical building study list. Um, and as you know, we had just talked about it. Uh, in late 70s, there's a survey that was done. Um, there are approximately 4,000 properties. I would say just shy of 4,000, probably 3,000, either 700 or 900 properties. Of those, uh, about 700 are validated. And, and by that, I mean uh, determined to be truly historic. They are documented on a DPR 523 form, which is a standard form issued by the state of California for uh, uh, documenting why uh, a property or resources is historically significant and, and the reasons for it. Um, and the, that documentation is archived in the California Historic Resource Information System. Um, and the CRIS system, that's the acronym, um, uh, there's, there's several centers um, in the California University system that holds that information. And, and for our area in the Bay Area, um, that information center is called the Northwest Information Center at Sonoma State University. So a very formal process of documenting validated historic uh, properties. Um, we talked about this earlier in the uh, previous agenda item, the notations, um, the N's, S's, B's, E's, and the E's, and then also a category of uh, many properties that are, that are just not, not defined. So in our experience, the study list is, um, and, and I'm kind of repeating a statement I made in the earlier agenda item, is, is really a... Uh, um, it's, it's a list containing properties that have been validated as well as those that really do need some study. Here's an example of a property that's currently on the study list with a notation of S. Um, frankly, I, I think this is an example. This is actually a, uh, a design review project that came in fairly recently. And we were kind of surprised to discover that this property is um, annotated that way. Uh, we often do question, hey, whether the study list includes typos in the addresses. And I would say over the years, we have actually gone through a scrubbing of the list to verify um, the addressing. So I think we just at the end of last year uh, have gone through and matched parcel numbers to the addresses because our goal, part of what we've been doing over time is also to try to convert our um, uh, uh, paper documents into digital archives and mapping. And so we would love to post the historical building study list in our GRS system. We actually have that online now, um, but there were a number of properties that uh, were the addresses when you punch it into Google Maps or even our permit system doesn't show up. And so we've actually gone through and ground truth some of those addresses. So this is an example of property that appears on a study list uh, with uh, S annotation, possibly eligible for uh, state register. Um, but we do not 
understand why it's listed that way. So we don't think this is a mistake, but at some point the surveyor thought maybe this was worth uh, further study. But again, I Did, think this is an example. Maybe Jim Morrison lived there. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we, we searched that too. Uh, we do not know. <laughs> and here are just some plans of that building. Um, again, nothing architecturally significant. Um, uh, Design-wise, not work of an art masterpiece, and it's also not related to any group of buildings in the neighborhood. This the street view here isn't isn't that great, but you can see most of the buildings on the street are single-story gable roofs, mid-century. Um, this one, we uh, there were photos also taken as part of the survey in the 70s, and when we look up the photograph, um, it kind of looked the exact same way. So we're not quite sure why this is on the study list. Again, an example of a number of properties that appear on our study list that are very questionable. But I say that not to downplay the importance of the overall list. What I'm, what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make is uh, the study list does need validation. It needs work. And I think the city needs to focus its resources on cleaning up the list. And so, for that reason, I mean, staff recommends that we, let's not call it a study list. Let's call it what all other cities in California call it. It should be a historic resources inventory. Um, when we tell people there's a study list, often there's a pause. Well, a study list? Do you mean an actual inventory? Is it an inventory? Is it not? I mean, that's a question that always creates um, trouble for the city and I, I would say liability as well to call it a study list. I mean, is it a historic resource of in inventory or not? We would like it to be, but it's not called that. And it's, it's a list that includes obviously properties that don't really belong. So the staff recommendation to the board is when we go through and adopt a new ordinance, we really should adopt a new historic resources inventory that inventory will include our monuments. It should include all the validated properties that are stored in the Chris system. And you know, if, if, if the board chooses any property that's on the study list notated as an N, S, E, or B could also fall in the inventory. But I would caution you that this property that we just looked at on Adam Street is has an S notation. So maybe a you know, tied to that would be some program to try to target um, some validation. Um, but that's to be discussed. I, I think at the very least, we should establish uh, a formal inventory with the properties that are validated. Then the question would be, well, what, what happens to the study list? Well, other cities in California do include uh, separate lists they, some of them call them structures of merit. I think it's totally fine that we keep our historical building study list. This would be sort of the, the work program, the list that we would commit um, city resources to, to try to validate over time. And, and over time we would add, uh, we could add new properties on the list that, have, that aren't currently on the list. And, but the idea is over time, we would try to whittle it down as we verify more resources to be moved over to the historic resources inventory um, and, and fewer properties to be studied over time. But I would emphasize that uh, under this setup, we would still 
everything, either it, whether it's on the study list or whether it's in the new historic resources inventory, would retain all the protections under the preservation ordinance. So we're not proposing any changes. Um, depending on the options that we choose, um, uh, the universe of properties that would be governed under those three options we talked about earlier would cover all of the above. Does that does that make sense? So so there's not going to be a fear of oh by adopting a new list we're actually ex excluding anything. We're we're actually not. That's not part of the suggestion. Um, I do want to do point out there is a technicality. So uh, under the California Environmental Quality Act. Um, properties that are on a official local inventory do have protections under, under CEQA. Um, it does mandate environmental review studies and all of that. So by, uh, by separating the study lists and into a new inventory, staff's idea is the properties that are to be studied uh, would not be automatically subject to CEQA. And I, and I would recommend that because oftentimes we are dealing with single family homes. Um, under, under the California Environmental Quality Act, if you are undertaking a project to a building to remodel it, and if it, um, let's just say it was an addition, but this board feels that the addition um, is appropriate, um, there could be arguments made that, well, wait a minute, but you are changing the character. And if it's materially changing the character, that might trigger um, some additional processes. So, so the idea here is really to try to streamline the process for single family homeowners. I mean, just, um, and not that this would come up very often, but I, I could foresee potential where a single family home, a neighbor could argue that the addition would require the preparation of an environmental impact report, which is uh, typically, um, you know, for major development projects and not for smaller single family homes. So that's sort of the idea behind it, but it is a technicality I do want to point out. So that's uh, all my comments for, um, for tonight. And I actually don't really have a preview for the next meeting. Um, it, the preview for the next meeting would be really based on our conversation tonight. Okay, I, I had a question uh, regarding the study list uh, proposals. Um, so how does this, how, how could you set it up so that single family homes are not subject to CEQA if they're on this resource inventory list? Um, okay, I should probably clarify that. So if they are validated to be historic, and I know there are properties like that in Alameda that we do want to have those types of protections, um, they, they would be subject to CEQA and they would have all the protections. What I'm really talking about are the category of buildings that might be pre-42, because remember pre-42 buildings would fall uh, within, um, or will, will still fall uh, within the purview of the board review, but I, we do not believe that, that sh those properties should automatically be subject to the strict uh, regulations of CEQA, as well as property that properties that are unvalidated and are on the study list. Um, we feel like the first step would be if the question comes up whether a project would be uh, destroying important historic character, I think the first trigger would be, well, let's study the property first, understand its historical status before we uh, go ahead and make, make uh, approve the improvements. Does that 
Yeah, I think that, you know, basically there's 4,000 or so structures on the current study list. And you're proposing to sort of elevate the 700 plus the monuments up to a higher, or the, to give them the standard that they they deserve uh, under CEQA, and then sort of, you know, devalue the remaining study list uh, until they could be validated through a further resource evaluation. Is that what I'm understanding? I wouldn't necessarily couch it as devalue, but because uh, process-wise, they would still be subject to the same procedures, right? Same protections currently today. So it's not like it makes it easier for a, a property owner of a study list property, but not on the inventory to undertake um, whatever they can. Um, it's it's really to separate. Um, it's really to separate the resources so that we are clear. You know, the properties that are validated and are historic do belong in a clear list um, that that signifies its historic status. I mean, let's let's talk about that McKay property again, the Federal Center property. The issue has always been that it is on the study list, and so automatically people are assuming it has historical merit. But then when we, I mean, again from staff's perspective, we go through the the history, we determine that it's not. And so it, it, it's really that issue. Okay. That well, we're trying I, to, to clarify and to try to avoid going forward. Well, it, it really is apparent to me and probably to others that, uh, you know, additional investment in resource evaluation is needed <laughs> in our city, that we have a lot of buildings on a list that was created by drive-by evaluations in 1978 and, 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 Clearly, we need better records and, and information. So hopefully, we can move towards that in our future discussions on the board. Um, do we have other questions or comments? Norman? Um, I had one. Uh, who submits the, uh, the forms that you're referring to, Ellen? Is that, is that something that staff would do? Or is that something? that anyone can do. I'm just curious how that process works. Uh, so, so, well, previously we have the forms because of the survey and the surveyors mm -hmm. at that time determined that, oh yes, this is no doubt, this is a historic building. And so um, it, currently these forms, when we do have a form, like let's talk about the shipways project that you mentioned earlier, um, because we do know that it is a historic site and um, there, there may not have been adequate documentation or there was documentation from the 70s, but that the documentation was probably very uh, short and simple. Uh, in that case, the, uh, the project applicant, um, either the city would ask them or under CEQA, they may be subject to CEQA, they would be the ones preparing, they would hire a historian and prepare a new DPR form uh, based on today's uh, preservation guidelines issued by the state. So in that case, um, once, the perf once the form is prepared, submitted to the city as part of the environmental document, we would then ask the applicant to coordinate with the um, Northwest Information Center to have those archived. And the other point I wanna make is related to that process, the documentation on TPR form, only qualified individuals with special access to the Northwest Information Center can um, access those records and submit documents. 
So it's a very um, structured process. So under your um, your suggestion of of sort of having these two lists, right, the vetted list and the non-vetted list, uh, for lack of a better term, um, a DPR wouldn't necessarily have to be filed for a project to move from one to the other. It would be more a matter of um, sort of the the um, go, somebody going through the process, whether it's staff level or whatever, but somebody going through the process of actually saying, okay, the, we have a property here that's on the study list. It does belong on the study list. It clearly has historical merit. Could that then get put onto the onto the the list of the 700 added to that list or yes. would it require the filing of the form uh yes it would be it could be added and so i think this is where uh it gets to some of the details now um as part of the preservation ordinance update i think we would want to develop that those procedures i would tell you sort of the standard process throughout the state would be when um when there is a property in question or at least a property that has merit, you know, sometimes we would see properties that might have been, uh, well, in the seventies might have been stuck, a uh, Victorian that's stuccoed over, mm -hmm. but has now been restored. And, you know, based on its restoration, I mean, it clearly conveys uh, architectural merit. I mean, that might be an argument to now um, added to our inventory. And in that case, we would, um, uh, we would suggest uh, documenting it and then um, uh, archiving it um, at the Northwest Information Center. But at the same time, um, you, the, the board can also establish procedures that's, that don't require the actual form, um, but that we can still add it to our inventory. So that, that could certainly happen. Some things are very obvious, right? Yes, you don't have a formal documentation, but you could tell that this is a building worth protecting. Sure. So we can do that. Okay. We have other questions or comments? I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know if we have any public speakers that are gonna uh, address the board on this issue. Uh, right now we have two people raising their hands. Okay. Well, if there's no other comments or questions, let's uh, proceed to the public comment portion. All right, now updated to three speakers. The first speaker will be John Healy. Mr. Healy. Sorry, let me unmute. First, I wanna say thank you to all of you that are doing the work that you do. This is something that's very difficult in, in our society and no one wants to do it. And I think it's one of the most important boards that we have. So thank you for all your thank work you. and all your volunteer time. It is, it is appreciated. I think it's one of the more important boards. One of the things that um, in following up with what uh, Mr. Ty said, I, I think it's absolutely correct that you got to go back and reevaluate the lists and do that. Um, one of the things that I would think I would recommend to you guys is to go back and find some of the people um, I can recommend a few that when the historical board was originally established and um, find out some of the things they did so that it gave you the parameters that you work with today. So for instance, um, one of you is an architect, I believe. And then one of, one of the other requirements is they're supposed to be a historian in, in, the, uh, in the board. And all of these are really important requirements because as you update these lists, 
we have to add that. And I'm concerned because the um, authority that gives you guys uh, to be here as a historical board, um, there has to be what we call qualified personnel under the, under the statute. And so um, if staff goes and makes a lot of things and they don't have the people behind them, not saying that they don't, and please, Mr. Ty, don't take this wrong. Um, if they don't have a qualified historian, um, an archeologist, a historic architect or something like that, it can devalue the list. It can, it can actually uh, make it invalid. So there are certain requirements that were put forth to give you the power to do what you do today. So um, I would ask that you go back and revisit that and, and that will help Mr. Ty because he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting, but unfortunately some of that's supposed to be put back on your guy's shoulders in supporting him too. Because if he goes and does all the work and he doesn't have the qualified staff and you put that together, speaking as a lawyer, we can come back and challenge that from you. And that's the last thing we want to do because it defeats all the hard work that you've done. And my um, apologies, that is uh, two minutes. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you, Mr. Healy. Uh, the next speaker will be Christopher Buckley and it looks like the third speaker lowered their hand. Okay, Mr. Buckley. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. And it's only two minutes rather than three minutes. It's normally three minutes unless you have a lot of speakers. Well, we made it two minutes because of the length of this meeting. Okay. I'll try to do it in two minutes. Anyway, we uh, submitted a uh, letter, which I assume you all saw, and I'm just going to skim through a couple of points here. I'm with, and this is with the um, Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. Uh, first, like to address the definition of demolition, which I think you are going to have to deal with regardless of which option you take. Um, we submitted some uh, recommended tweaks to the suggested definition of the staff report uh, to make special treatment for street-facing exterior walls, that removing more than 25% of the surface of street-facing walls you know, would be considered demolition, uh, but keep 50% for other walls. That's just one example. Also suggesting deleting, deleting relocation of a building because relocation is a very different thing than demolition. You should keep that as a separate process and a separate definition, and there is a separate definition already in the draft ordinance. Um, moving on to the certificate of approval and design review process, we agree option three is the way to go. It would be the cleanest procedure, eliminate the double jeopardy, uh, take advantage of the HAB's professional qualifications, uh, but also suggest limiting use of the Secretary of Interior standards only to historical monuments and properties on the National Register. The standards could be an onerous hurdle for a lot of projects and also their in standard nine is inconsistent with the design review manual. Standard nine is very concerned about false historicism. Design review manual says make it look like it was always there, which we think is, a, is really the best approach, the simplest approach. Contractors and applicants understand that. I'm running out of time, so I need to skip to um, the, um, the study list and the CEQA issue. Uh, we're concerned about um, taking off those 3,300 buildings that might not be subject to CEQA. You really need to review the study list first, weed out the ones that are obviously not appropriate, as staff is already doing, which is good, and then um, you know, go on from there. Um, and maybe you could do it in phases. Take a look at Architects, and that's available through George Gunn. And I've run out of time, so thank you. Thank you, Mr. Buckley. We have your letter. Okay, please read it. <laughs> Can I ask you one question, though? Okay. The, uh, 
Okay, the cards. For each of those uh, cellulose properties, there was supposed to be a card with a contact print attached with some notes to it. And have those cards been lost? I was very disturbed to hear that a lot of material now you can't find. And Alan, do you know what I'm talking about with those cards? Yeah, Chris, are you talking about the, um, the photo cards? Yeah, there was a card uh, with a photo attached to yes, it. Yes, we have those. We have those. But then okay. there isn't, um, other than notating the construction date, maybe the builder or architect, there's no other information on it, on them. We have all the cards. All right. I thought in some cases there were notes, but all right. Um, in very, you're right. In very few instances, there may be some notes as to what was important about them, but, but most of them um, not. Okay, thank you. Are there any other speakers? That was the last speaker. Okay, we'll close the public comment portion. Um, since we don't have to make a motion on discussion tonight, um, are there any further comments that the board would like to make or questions? Um, just for Ms. the um, Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. I think I've emailed them before. I just really want to make it, um, I just want to make sure that they have my correct email address so that I'm, you know, um, getting forwarded the correct materials. I've checked with the city just to make sure that I'm, I'm getting those. So uh, it's, I, I don't know when the appropriate time to actually give my email out, but I probably not now. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure that um, that will be addressed so that I, I get those emails. Um, so did you not receive uh, AAPS's uh, email this afternoon, approximately a little after one o'clock in the afternoon that had several attachments, which Mr. Buckley referred to? And it's tricky because I do get some mail from... It was a Gmail account. But... Yeah, board member Jones, uh, what we could do after the meeting is just make sure uh, uh, Mr. Buckley has your correct email address. So okay. I will representing AAPS. Got it. Okay. Thanks. Sorry. For okay. That. Yeah, you should have gotten the email. And if you didn't, we have to fix that. Yeah. Did everybody else receive the email? Okay. Member Lau? Yeah, I have a question though, Evan. Like, why um, maybe we should have a group email address? Like for the historical. Uh, what we what we can do, and this is really not uh, this agenda item, but then uh, what we can do is explore assigning you city email addresses. But then there are certain um, things that you would have to commit to in terms of um, checking it for that's you know for your packet, checking it for correspondence on a regular basis, uh, logging in to update your password every few months. Um, we get that a lot with city issued emails to boards and commissions. If you don't check it very often, your password expires. And then the, right before your meeting, you're needing to log in to see the packet and, and you're asking us for a, for a password reset. So um, yeah, some logistic issues that we could talk about um, maybe during staff communications. Okay, thank you. Other, Norman? Yeah, I had a question, Alan. Um, at the end of the staff report, you have a recommendation that wasn't covered in your presentation uh, about uh, us holding a public workshop to review comment on the proposed amendments. Um, could you elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, or were you thinking that that would be something that would be 
uh, during one of our typical meeting times, or are you suggesting that we have that outside of our regularly scheduled? Uh, no, meetings? I think I think uh, that remark is uh, just indicating that um, once I receive sufficient direction from this board, I, we would be drafting the ordinance. Then you would this board would hold a public hearing or public hearings um, to review the actual document, and then you would make a recommendation to council. So I was meaning that yeah, we would just use this uh, meeting time, your regular meetings to discuss it. Thank you. Okay, well, last call. No other comments, questions? So, um, Mr. Tai? Yeah, so uh, maybe this would help you to get a better sense of what direction staff is looking for. So my game plan really is to uh, have you talk about these options. If you feel like you need more time or really, uh, this is an issue that I don't think you should rush to a conclusion to as well. <laughs> um, you might want some time to think about it or, or if you have ideas, uh, if you can give them to me now, I think that would be helpful for staff to think about next steps, particularly the options. You know, for example, if you believe option three is really, there's consensus here and you really wanna move forward, then I think what I would need to do next would be to schedule a study session before the planning board and have the planning board have a conversation about this to see if there's any agreement. Planning board might say, no, we love design review on historic <laughs> property. I mean, I, I don't know, but um, that, that, that option needs to be um, vetted much further. Okay. Um, the other thing would just also be, and I think, you know, that's an important um, piece of direction because that also gives us some direction on how you want to set up the threshold. So I guess those are the two, two areas that I would be um, looking so, for some more direction on. In terms of the actual uh, study list, what to do with it, um, you know, I, I think uh, we could spend, come back to that at another meeting if you're not ready to uh, give direction on that. But, um, or maybe you would like to explore that further, but would like staff to kind of come back with some, uh, uh, some more information, we can do that too. I would just like to have some clarity on what to work on um, for your next meeting and, and kind of chart a path. Well, I, th I think there's been a couple of comments already. Um, uh, Norman talking about the demolition definition, and I think I supported that as well. I think the valuation definition is very unclear. It's hard to manage. So I think we do need to work on the demolition definition, regardless of what other options we choose. Um, and I, I stated earlier that I thought that option three, as far as the board's uh, design review uh, uh, oversight, you know, made sense to me that um, that we're not just looking at approving of demolition, but we're looking at the project as a whole. Um, and so that would be. I would be interested in pursuing that as as um, the direction of the board. Uh, other thoughts, comments? Uh, yeah, I would agree with you on that, Tom. I, I'm I'm I think option three makes sense, given what we've discussed. Any raised hands? Yeah, I. Yes, go ahead. I agree that too. So I agree. <laughs> 
option fee is good. So, so uh, Alan, do you have, is that helpful or do you need further direction? You're muted. I'm muted, sorry. Yes, I think that's that's helpful. Um, and so with option three, I think I like to take it a little bit further and kind of ask the question. Um, currently, uh, I'm just kind of thinking about how, how the process would play out. Um, so currently the design review ordinance does, uh, it, it kind of starts off saying every exterior change to a building would require design review. In this case, we would probably, and I will come back with um, draft amendment language so that we can look at this further. But just conceptually, I kind of want to talk this through um, with you tonight. Um, so, so the design review ordinance sets it up as any exterior change to a building in the city requires design review. What we would be, the amendment we would likely be making would be, um, yes, that's true, but with uh, alterations, exterior modifications to pre-1942 buildings or historic study list buildings, or if eventually if we, if you decide to adopt the inventory, um, we would call it whatever name it is. Um, that subset of buildings would then be subject to um, the, the review of the historical advisory board. Um, the ordinance then lists, a, there's a long list of exemptions to design review. Most of the exemptions have to do with very small, minor, um, routine kind of repairs, replacement in kinds um, type type projects. And so uh, that would still apply. So if a homeowner wanted to uh, replace a broken window or replace a deteriorated wood window with another window in kind, then that would not be a project subject to design review. Um, we would we could then um, I think the other thing I mentioned in the staff report that I haven't covered yet is we do need to talk about the findings for approval and as you know findings are the justifications for a, a decision making for an approval so I think in this case currently the design review findings are related to neighborhood compatibility it doesn't really speak to historical character um, I think we've heard from uh, Mr. Buckley uh, uh, during public comment that uh, APS would like to sort of steer away from the Secretary of the Interior Standards. And so I think another, you know, area that we would need to work on would be, well, if we are to update the findings to speak to more of a historical context, what would that finding be? What would that criteria be for design review approval? So I think that's also um, something that we have to um, work through. And if you have ideas on that, now that that would be great or I could draft some language and come back if you prefer it might be well, easier for me to present something for your review than um, for, for us to come up with something right yeah now. Uh, it's getting it's getting kind of late and I think we're all tired so we're probably not at the top of our uh, creative thinking here um, okay. but you know it seems to me that we should establish some kind of a trigger that would you know, elevate buildings from staff review to um, historical advisory board review. And, you know, in the past, it seems like maybe demolition has been that trigger. Um, and maybe that still could be the trigger, especially if we define the demolition as a percentage of surface area 
giving priority to the street facing facade and and then less priority to the sides and the rear of the building and that sort of thing. Maybe that is a way of establishing a criteria that um, brings it to the board and lets staff do the majority of the design review <clears throat> at, at, the, at that level instead of having to come before the board. And I think that the, you know, the AAPS's comment about the um, Secretary of Interior standards is if they're applied correctly, they're extremely strict standards and established guidelines that I think that most residential projects could not meet or would not meet. Um, and so maybe it's not the correct standard to have for residential design review. But, you know, for like for the Park Street Historic District, for instance, it's a national register district. So that would have the Secretary of Interior standards as its um, guidelines. Um, but, you know, as far as uh, residential design review, you know, I think neighborhood compatibility is important. I think uh, compatibility with the, the building's own architectural character um, is an important, so consistent with its own architectural character. Um, that kind of thing. But like I said, I'm not in top form here. I'm falling asleep. Um, other comments, questions? No, that, that alone was very helpful. Thank you. Okay, everybody's tired. So if that's helpful, uh, maybe we should close out that agenda item for tonight. And I'm sure we'll be coming back to it in more detail when we're, when we're feeling better. Yeah. Okay, so um, with no objections, then we're moving on to uh, agenda item number eight, board communications. Nobody's got any communications. No great vacations planned. Too bad. Next item, staff communications. So next up, I think there is the CLG annual report. Okay. Henry's still on. Okay. Well, I could speak to that. Um, so um, we do this annually. So the city is a certified local government under the um, state uh, program. Um, it's actually a national program for historic preservation, but um, being a certified local government means our local preservation program meets um, certain standards um, for a preservation official local government preservation program. And then annually, we just have to provide a report of um, us holding a number of meetings and following um, specified uh, preservation um, requirements. Um, this report, this for, for the last year, and, and the reporting period covers kind of an odd period between October of 2019 to the end of September 2020. And, and as you know, with uh, COVID-19 and um, City Hall closure, we really haven't had uh, a lot of meetings um, during that period. So that's what we've reported, you know, due to COVID-19. Um, the other things, uh, the other information that it asks for would just be the board's qualifications, um, which uh, we will be attaching the um, sort of your resumes that you've submitted for your application for the board. So that information is submitted. Um, contact information, personal information is redacted. Uh, we also address um, other information about changes to uh, preservation ordinance, for example, update efforts. Those are um, those are documented. Um, anything I've missed, Henry? Henry, 
I should give Henry credit. He wrote the report this year. So I uh, just want to acknowledge that. Take a bow, Henry. <laughs> Anything I've missed, Henry? I'll just say that, uh, you know, if you have any um, anything that needs to be corrected, let us know toward by the end of the month because we'll be sending in the report um, by March uh, 31st. Okay. Thank you very much. So any other uh, staff communications? Uh, no, that was it. Um, if there's any other, uh, any other questions about email, I think what, what I'm hearing about the email issue is, uh, I guess the question for the board is, would you like official city emails? We, I could talk to IT about setting it up, but uh, the commitment there again is you would need a, uh, all, all official city correspondence and board correspondence would now have to be via the city email. And to access the email, you would have to um, access a dedicated portal on, on, on online. So if you would... Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm not necessarily um, thinking that I want another email account okay. that I have to deal with. Right. Um, but I do think that it's important that if AAPS is going to be um, sending information uh, for all of our meetings just prior that it's important that they have everybody's email correct. And so um, I don't know, Lynn, if you don't have Chris Buckley's uh, email address, let me know. I can send it to you or, or maybe Alan, you could forward Lynn's email to Chris so that we make sure that she's on that distribution. Yeah, yeah. staff will do that. I will do that. Later. Okay, thank you. And then I, I, I did have one other question, Alan, with regards to, um, so with when assuming that we went with option three and that we would then be sort of keeping tabs on the design review applications that went, that you and Henry were approving that um, were not coming before us. Um, can you remind me again, do you, do you post those or how do we find out that a project has gone through and that it's within that window of time in which we can um, call for it. Yes, those uh, those actions. So we call them planning director decisions. Those mm -hmm. are posted, and so uh, we would make a better effort of notifying the board anytime there is an action. And these actions take place um, in cycles. So uh, and they're usually timed around the. the these decisions happen on Monday, so um, and and we tie it to actually the planning board meeting schedule, so that um, after every decision's been made, the planning board at their meeting has an opportunity to to uh, review those decisions as part of their meeting during the um, public appeal period, and so they can call it for review. So I think if there is a change. Um, to with the responsibility to this board, then we would try to s figure out a way uh, because you're meeting on a monthly basis. So we will need to maybe separately notify the board um, on, on a set schedule. Thank you. Okay, uh, I don't see anybody raising their hand. So uh, moving on to oral communications. Uh, do we have any other speakers that are waiting in line to talk to us? Uh, we have 11 attendees right now and no one is raising their hand. Okay. Um, and with that, 
I thank you for your, your time and your hanging in there for this long meeting and a lot of good comments. Um, and we can adjourn our meeting for tonight. I hope everybody has a good night. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Thanks, Tom.